What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack for the past couple of years, well, your back probably hurts and it probably sucks. But lucky for you, you can go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of load-bearing essentials. Because not only do they make fire packs, they make packs for hunting, fishing, everything you can think of under the sun. Hell, if you want to go peel a trophy elk off the side of the hill, they got that covered. If you want to go snowboarding or backpacking across Europe, they've got you covered. Hell, they even make briefcases. Oh, speaking of backpacks and briefcases, so they have a couple of new items. It's going to be the Urban Assault 21 pack and the three-way briefcase. These things are badass, and check this out. We all know about the Mystery Ranch Backbone series and that scholarship. Well, if you guys want to help somebody else out, check this out. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out this Urban Assault 21 and the three-way briefcase in Wildfire Black because 10% of the proceeds from those uh, pack sales is going to go directly into the Backbone Series Scholarship Fund. So if you guys want an opportunity to win that scholarship, well, go over to www.mysteryranch.com if you haven't figured that out yet and check out the Backbone Series Go over there, submit your story, and if you're selected, you will win one of these $1,000 grants. So go over to, once again, in case you didn't get it the first four times, www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. You guys are awesome. Thank you. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So if you guys are looking for some awesome coffee or maybe some uh, kick-ass apparel to help rep that firefighter, that Wildland Firefighter culture, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of everything you need. They got shirts. They've got hats. They've got cups. They've got coffee. They've got all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right as well. So once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. It's kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause. And they help us out by slinging the Anchor Point merch. So if you guys are looking for one of those sweet Anchor Point tees, whether it's the Fire Fiend or other, the Band of Brothers there, well, you know where to find them. So go over there and check it out. Support a good cause. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you guys don't know what that stands for, well, it stands for the anti-surface shitting movement. I think it's a great cause and uh, yeah, it's helping spread the word about burying your turds. So if you have a problem pooper on your crew, well, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the Ass Movement where you can order all of your poo bearing propaganda and help spread the message because there is nothing more than I hate than going to my favorite little fishing spot or my favorite little camp or my favorite little trail or hunting area and uh, seeing a human turd gift wrapped in toilet paper. It's disgusting and that shit needs to stop. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to take a little bit of time out of your day to raise a little bit of awareness and point you in the direction of a great cause. I don't know about you guys, but I think that our federal wildland firefighting workforce are professionals. We are 100% professionals. At the end of the day, 
We are firefighters. However, we are not classified as such and therefore not compensated for it. We all know that this job takes a lot out of us and it takes a lot of time and commitment and dedication both on and off duty to succeed in our careers. But check this out. We have a group of folks trying to change that dynamic. It is the grassroots wildland firefighters and they are trying to be at the forefront and the front lines of getting us what we need to succeed. They're working on pay, classification, comprehensive health and well-being, and reforming OWCP for on-the-job injury claims. It is a pretty amazing organization. It formed back in 2019 by both active and retired wildland firefighters. And this is people that are all the way up from the retired FMO all the way to your GS4 and GS5 entry-level firefighters are a part of this cause. Nothing about us without us is our motto. And we want everybody out there listening to this involved in that effort. So if you guys want to see change, well, now's your opportunity. Go over to www.grwff.com or www.thegrassrootswildlandfirefighters.com and check it out. It's a great cause. I'm deeply passionate about it. And these folks are working their asses off to see the future generations of wildland firefighters coming up through the ranks have it a little bit better than the previous generations. So it's a bipartisan effort. And we're trying to do great work out there. So all your support would be deeply, deeply appreciated. So once again, go over to www.grwff.com or grassrootswildlandfirefighters.com and check them out. This podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's getting ready for which, well, shaping up to be quite a uh, gnarly fire season. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have uh, swung by the uh, Predictive Services Intel page lately, but holy crap, you should see some of those drought indices. We are getting uh, a little bit of activity down in Region 3. It's already starting to pop off, and then we're also getting some weird IAs in places that shouldn't be getting initial attack activity right now. Pretty, uh, Pretty concerning, but I hope you guys are ready for it. You guys and girls are in shape, both mentally and physically, for what's shaping up to be a gnarly fire season. So that being said, uh, this episode, I just want to apologize in advance. Uh, There was an error with my microphones, and for some reason, it uh, recorded, uh, it defaulted to my uh, microphones that I wasn't supposed to be using instead of the one you're hearing hearing me on now. But anyways, with that being said... I'd like to introduce my very good friend, Mr. Aaron Humphreys. Yeah, I've actually been waiting for a little bit over a year to interview this gentleman. And uh, yeah, he's a former superintendent of Eldorado Hotshots, and he just recently moved on to a different agency. Uh, He also happens to be a generational firefighter. 
and uh, both his parents and him have worked for the Forest Service. So we're going to talk about the change that he's seen with the agency over time, um, his experience with his time in this in the uh, Forest Service, and why he decided to jump ship and move on after 25 years of uh, fire. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty cool story. We're also going to get his wife's perspective of this whole thing. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mr. Aaron Humphrey. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome up. Jeez, I can't even talk, man. It's been like rusty. All right, let's try that again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got I got my good buddy Aaron Humphrey. It's kind of a kind of a legend in the fire community. What's going on, dude? You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't tell. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, man. Tell us about yourself. So we, uh, me and the family, came on up to get away for I don't know a weekend, and uh, I've been waiting to talk to you for i don't know what probably over a year it's been over a year yeah and then we had it all set up and then well covid happened so (laughs) it's been a long time in the long time in the making i think yeah murphy's law always like all right dude we're set up and now no you can't (laughs) it's like i was afraid we wanted to go over like state borders or anything like that yeah so we uh yeah we wanted to get out of the house and now that the kids are um back full you know full-time school yeah they had their easter or spring break and my wife has been stuck at home for quite a while. So she's like, please, let's do something. <laughs> so I looked, out of this yeah, I looked around and I was like, man, we can make this work. We could get up there, have a relaxing, some pool days, you know, yeah. and uh, come do this. So what did you think of that pool? Uh, it was great. Pretty bitching, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was exactly. I think yesterday was probably one of the most relaxing days that we've actually had. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife together, where the kids were still playing and tired. And uh, it was much needed. Oh, yeah, man. Well, it kind of pills in comparison for like what you were doing previously to what you are able to do now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So. And 100%, you know, we'll get into a lot of that stuff today. But the uh, uh, one of the beautiful things I have in life right now is that when I leave work, I leave work. Yeah, you don't have to take shit. I don't, you. I don't have... They leave, it's done. Yeah. I don't think about it. There's no uh, calls. There's nothing. There's nothing at 3 in the morning like, hey, man, we got an IA. No, no, and they know like, hey, if you're scheduled for vacation, you're you're gone. Really? Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's such a big difference, you know, as far as uh, mental, just leaving that stuff behind. Yeah. So yesterday, um, I think I took probably two naps outside <laughs> on a lap, you know, all those patio type couches, watching baseball on TV. Yeah, watching baseball and having some drinks, and uh, kid, it was it was great. Oh yeah. Well, the wife, same thing. We rotated some naps. And uh, <laughs> it's not what happens. Babysitting duty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was awesome, man. So yeah, I appreciate you having us. Oh um, yeah, dude. That was one yeah. of the reasons why we got to have you yesterday because we came here. You know what I mean? So uh, we look forward to doing this. Yeah, the hotel is pretty bad. Pretty pretty badass. Oh yeah, uh, this is one of my favorite places. If I if the wife and I want to go out to dinner, or we want to just go gamble or something like that. The GSR is pretty much our our casino of choice. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Yes. It has everything you need. So oh, yeah. So maybe they should be your sponsor right now since we're <laughs> yeah. So if uh they're listening, yeah. I'll be your boy. <laughs> no, dude, speaking of which, speaking of that pool and everything like that, now that COVID's kind of like coming down and you know, kind of I don't know, coming every people are getting vaccines, yeah, yeah. whatever the fuck you want to call it. I want to do like a meetup there at that pool area and just get a cabana and just invite whoever the fuck wants to come. Yep. 
I think that'd be so bitching, man. Especially once this COVID restrictions are like a way of the past, you know? Yeah, it would be, that would be, uh, we were talking about that, you know, earlier when I was sitting here, I was like, man, this would be so fun to have a big group of people together here. Yeah. Maybe we can do like a fundraiser or something like that, raise some money for the foundation. Yeah. That would, that would be, uh, I'm all for sitting in a pool, raising money. Hell yeah. I'll see if I can talk to those guys. And be like, hey, man, what do you think about this? And then, well, once COVID shit stops, but it's coming, man. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Dude, all right. So, speaking of COVID, I know we're kind of going down a rabbit hole, but how did you guys handle it with the agency you're with now? How did you guys handle that? Because I know it's different agency to agency, and there's no real cut and dry planning. Um, they did the best they could. Um, at the beginning, there was like a uh, 10%. If you were field going, you would get a 10% increase of pay. For being on the field, you guys got hazard pay. Yeah, they it wasn't really called hazard pay. It was like well, it's COVID pay, I guess. <laughs> um, but then once they were able to get what they felt the safety uh, precautions in place, yeah. as far as supplying people the right PPE, then that went away. Uh, once there was more knowledge out there about COVID itself um, and stuff like that, then they came up with getting people extra vehicles. Um, you know, that type of stuff and keeping people out of building. Yeah, split people up and just uh overall, I mean, honestly, I couldn't have I don't think they could have done anything more. They did everything they could. Yeah. I mean, it's like we were talking about, man. There's an inherent risk with life. I mean, you know yeah. the the hazards that are out there. And honestly, COVID's one of those and we know the risk. So it's a accepted risk, you know, that whole risk management thing. Yeah, and I, you know, I can't really uh I'd say it was it was handled uh really well, actually. I know we all get tired. I think it's real hard. You get co- you just get tired of talking about you know hearing about it. So when you hear all the calls every week and the emails, it just becomes like white noise. You know, it's just like ah, whatever. Like the bell that keeps ringing, and pretty but, soon you don't hear it. Exactly. But yeah. the truth of it is, from an agency or a company, it doesn't matter who it is. They have to continue to preach the you know safety. Yeah, well, safety is number one priority. Exactly. For you know, just so. like with the sports service, it's life, safety, and uh, natural resources. Right? Exactly. In so that particular order. So it's all, you know, it's still, uh, I think there's everywhere you go, you know, people are getting vaccinated and, and or people have had it multiple times. So it seems to me, uh, you know, we're getting close. Yeah. I just hope for everybody that at least by the time fire season, which is pretty much here. Oh, yeah, it's here. But in the next month or so, hopefully there'll be a big uptick, in, you know, between vaccinations and everything that make uh, this fire season for everybody a little better. Yeah. As far as like, you know, it sounds pretty terrible for some people to try to figure out logistics and traveling and quarantines. And uh, you already had like one of the worst fire seasons ever. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that. So and now we're going to repeat that, if not have a greater fire season with. Yes. Not so much. (laughs) One of the funniest things for me is I. I think I stepped away. Well, for a lot of reasons, um, but at the perfect moment in life. And I was still uh, just in life. I didn't have to, you know, being the superintendent of a hotshot crew and then everything that you're doing in the COVID, you know, having to deal with COVID. Yeah. It would have been terrible. I mean, they had to do so everybody that had to be model leaders, uh, you know, my hat's off to them. I can't even imagine the travel restrict. Everything is already a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. And then to add that complexity is uh, so all summer, you know. I smiled to myself a little bit <laughs> and I felt bad. You know, I felt bad for, you know, the dudes, you know, Ben strong. Yeah. He took my, you know, the, the, he took over Eldo. And, uh, I thought about those guys a lot, but at the same time, I was like, hell yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to deal with that, you know? So that was part of that. Uh, 
you know, the timing thing. Yeah. As far as uh, already being kind of at the end of my rope with stuff, I think that would have just been uh, really not too good. Yeah. No, that's uh, definitely an added stressor that's going to complicate matters. Dude, I, I don't blame you at all. I mean, we'll get into that, of course. Yeah. There's a lot of changes that need to happen. And I think there's a lot of room for uh, discussion. And I, I just really hope that it, it gets it grabs national attention. It's like, hey, this is this is what's going on on the ground. And people don't know about it. So yeah, that's like one of my missions here is to educate people about wildland fire. Sure. So, yeah, man. So speaking of the whole agency thing, let's talk about you, man. What's your background? What's your story? What'd you do? So now? kind of going back to the beginning, I uh, so I did 25 fire seasons in 24 years. So I had like five seasons as a temp mm-hmm. um, on the Stanislaus and the Cleveland National yeah. Forest. Uh, mostly on type three engines. Um, and then I did 20 years on the Eldorado hotshots. Um, but going back before that, what makes this interesting uh, for me and hard was I was born, my dad worked for the Forest Service when I was born. Yeah. And then we moved up to the Stanislaus and we grew up um, on a Forest Service compound actually with other Forest Service families back. Um, you know, this is the you know, early 80s. I was born in 77. My dad worked on uh, Laguna Hotshots and we moved up. And I don't know the exact time frames, you know, of everything. Um, but I grew up in, I don't know, five or six other Forest Service families. My dad worked, he was an engine captain mm-hmm. at Buck Meadows on the Stanislaus. And so I, I mean, I full on, that was our entire life. We had government housing that was affordable. And a bunch of other families lived there. And it was, it was pretty awesome, actually. Um, so I've been able to see the Forcers, you know, well, well before working for it. Yeah. That makes sense. So you guys to see those changes, too. The changes, yes. Yeah. Where it was just this uh, real family-oriented, um, um, real fun place. I mean, I really looked up to it when I was. I saw my dad and everybody that they, um, you know, worked for him coming through, whether it was like temps or, um, you know, the permanent people mm-hmm. and how much, you know, how much fun they'd have. And it was always barbecues and we had a basketball court, you know, all the other kids to play with. And, you know, I don't know, you know, the support system back. I don't really remember, um, so much, uh, all the moms getting together necessarily, but like the family stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, but it was something for me that stuck around. I was like, man, I really want to be part of that. Just kind of bleed green, less like yeah, you know. Yeah. I, every day, if you know, if they were doing stuff around the uh, station, and they get a call, you know, they'd they turn on a little siren on the engine to basically tell everybody like get to the engine. Right? Yeah. So I remember that it was always like so cool when I run out of the house or down the wherever I was doing whatever mischievous things I was doing <laughs> with my brother, and uh, we would watch them roll out. You know, and back then, you know, those were old engines with a little. Little, you know, little like bubble gun light on the top or whatever. Um, but I remember how cool that was. And sometimes they came right back, and sometimes they were gone for obviously a long time. Yeah, 21 days. But I remember instantly being like, dude, dad's awesome. This is, you know, and, and everybody up there was so much fun. So um, I want to say the first, you know, we probably lived on that compound for, you know, it was over a decade. Mm-hmm. At least, and then we and then we end up moving down, um, you know, a handful of miles to a little subdivision off of off of the compound. Okay, but even with that, um, my dad still worked there, and, and uh, he just made the ten minute commute or whatever. It was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'd go up there and see, you know see him all the time. 
we'd always, you know, hey, can we go see that, you know, or help my, once I could start driving, um, you know, we had to go pick up his vehicle sometimes if he leave on fire. So yeah, go pick it up and drive it home. Yeah, I was always yeah. excited to go up there. But I, uh, so making this decision when, when I left the agency, it wasn't just leaving my, my time with the Forest Service. No, it's like a generational thing. It was my dad's and my, you know, our family. It was, you know, my mom, all of us. Yeah. Um, it was a big decision. I, I honestly had pictured me working there until I retired. And then my kids, you know, at least one of them becoming a stepping into your boots. Yeah. yeah. You know, whether it's a hot shot, you know, at, the, at that time, actually, I wasn't, to be honest with you, really into the hot shot stuff. I, I really I saw my dad on the engine. I looked up to him. I wanted to be on an engine. Yeah. Um, but I, so that, so that decision, you know what I mean? It weighed on me really hard to think about, man, but my, my dad and my mom, especially really supported this. It was actually quite a while ago when I look at it. Um, when I look back at everything, my dad, he saw the writing on the wall as a lot of people did, you know, and they, a lot of the stuff that's going on right now has been talked about. And has happened. I don't think to this extent of where modules are so understaffed, um, you know, so many orders are unfilled, mm -hmm. and especially with the conditions that we're seeing right now. So it's all lined up, but they've gone through similar stuff. It's all cyclical. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about how many times these same conversations about pay classification, you know, it's been going on decade after decade. Um, but when I look back at it, you know, there were, he really tried, you know, he supported. And my parents supported, <clears throat> sorry, me working for the Forcers, but they also, I wouldn't say pushed, but definitely tried to get me to apply to Cal Fire yeah. and other places. And it was because he could see how things were changing. It was um, after the 87 Sansos complex, you know, a lot of the um, infrastructure, you know, it burned the lookout tower down and a bunch of, the, you know, weren't through the compound. They started switching a lot of the, Houses to offices, and they started, you know, all that kind of uh, family life went away. Yeah. And, um, you know, so somewhere in the late 80s, somewhere in there, things really started changing. And then in the 90s, started getting your mega fires, um, you know, later on, early 2000s, you know, up in the Northern Rockies type stuff. And by that point, it had felt like at least locally in California, things had really changed. It was a lot, <clears throat> it was a lot harder to find barracks. Um, the houses, you know, the housing, let alone family housing for government stuff, yeah. um, it had really changed. And so my dad, um, you know, he had multiple times set up times to interview or, and I was always kind of like, I don't want to go work for, you know, Cal Fire or any other agency. I'm a fortress kid. He's trying to guide you in the right direction. But, and it was from well, yeah. a different direction, not the right, necessarily the right direction, exactly. but a different one. Exactly. Yeah. And he, you know, he, my mom raised us, you know, she was obviously not a single mom, but it felt During like it for her, I'm sure, because yeah. we live on a forester's cop, you know, we're up quite a ways from ta any town from Groveland's the closest one. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, you know, there's back then there wasn't 14 day tours or whatever. So no, it was gone until the fire's out. It was gone, yeah. you know? And, uh, so she had to do so much to raise a couple boys. And yes, there's the paycheck part, you know, from my dad working, but it was, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, going to the local small grocery store and my mom having to write like IOU, you know, like, Hey, well, you know, that's how it used to work. There wasn't credit cards. There wasn't, we didn't have a bank in Brooklyn until <laughs> a long time. You know what I mean? So 
Um, life was way different. It was simple. Yeah. But it was different. And I, I look back at how much I appreciate, you know, what my mom had to go through to raise us and get us through all of this. And then I appreciate, you know, looking at it, my dad was like, hey, you can be passionate about this job. And it's a great job, but it's really hard to support a family. It's not without consequence, too. Exactly. Your mental health and all, all physical health, all that shit, the family yeah. life, everything. Yeah. All of it. So it's, so he kind of saw a lot of that. And, um, you know, as the years went on, um, I, it changed a little bit as far as conversations because he was really proud. He saw, we all have different paths in life, right? And, um, you know, I was young and dumb and I took probably my upbringing for granted. You know, I was, I was, I had great parents, played a lot of sports, um, but I kind of, you know, I just, I screwed around a lot. Yeah. And uh, I think there's kind of a commonality. For sure. Oh, well, for sure. You know, and, <laughs> and so I looked at the force race and, and honestly, I mean, you take basic, I took basic 32. He signed me up for it like right after I graduated. I ran into so, high school. Exactly. Yeah. So I started the force race at like uh, my employment with the force race at like 18. Mm-hmm. And I uh, got on an on-call crew, OC crew, based out of Sonora. Took a basic Sonora, 32. Sonora is yeah. awesome place. Oh, it's man. a great place. Beautiful. And, and uh, it was the Stanislaus Hot Shots, a great go-racker them. They put, they put the basic 32 on. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling it. He was only there for a day or two because um, they went to Canada, I believe. I know she is. Yeah, so they left. But uh, it was an early season assignment up to Canada. So then the rest of the substantialist folks filled in and finished it. But he made a comment about, um, you know, the people in here, this is a good, this is a good uh, experience for you, you know, to get in the foresters, but uh, it's unlikely that any of you will ever become hot shots. You know, you guys will be foresters people and, uh, you know, good, maybe good engine folks and this type of stuff, but it was, so I kind of sat there and I was like, huh, well, we'll see. <laughs> Watch me you know hold my beer. You know, and he was being super honest. That's his yeah. well, experience. It's, it's, it's kind of the truth, though. I mean, yeah. yeah. And if you know, it's it's a small, you know, smaller percentages of people that do that. And you know, I look back. It's funny actually, though. Quite a few of the people from my group actually went on to um, jobs at least at least for a few seasons on hot truck crews. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I appreciate people that are honest with their experiences, you know, but it, it kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, okay, so there's, I told you I wasn't really into the hot shot thing at this point. I had uh, been raised by an engine captain and that's what I looked up to. So it kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, wow, what do these guys do? I really didn't have that much exposure to them. Yeah. So obviously as you get in fire, I, I worked on an OC crew for, uh, my first fire was, I think the Hellister fire out of Blue Canyon. I thought about it driving up here. <laughs> As you're passing yeah. outside of Blue Canyon. I yeah. wanted to say something to kids, but they're all sleeping, which was awesome. Yeah, quiet. And like, don't wake them up. Not fighting each other. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I was, I was thinking about my first, my actual first rural fire was, yeah, off, in, uh, off of Blue Canyon. So, nice. you know, you, can, you remember that stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Your you, first fire. So. My first fire was a roadside fire, the extension to the wildland. It was up in Doyle, California. Yeah. It's called the Ford Fire because obviously it would be a Ford. Ford? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Shit, I was an AD too. I started out as an AD. Yeah, that's exactly what you are when you're on an OC crew. Mm-hmm. So, same type of thing. And I uh, I think that was the only fire I went to. Uh, 95 was my first fire season. 
I got out of high school then. Um, and it was a slow season. It was actually real slow. And uh, I get, then I got hired on a uh, Type 3 engine mm-hmm. out of Kinsley, which is way out of dirt road, no power generator. It's on the Stanislaus. Okay. And I'm just south of Buck Meadows. I don't remember, like 10, 15 miles. Kind of the top of the Merced River Canyon. Okay. Super hot. Burns all the time. I mean, it's probably gone through, I don't know how many fires. Steep shitty. Steep hot. shitty. It's on the top, but yeah. Um, yes, it's just just been burned over. Uh, it's it's a place that burns a lot. Fire prone area. Yeah, exactly. So um, I stayed out there. Um, and that was my real first full-time job with the Forcers. And I did uh, three, four seasons of doing that stuff on the engines. And I, what I really, really liked about the Forcers is still specifically the Stanislaus was the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really like tight knit. It was, you know, they, yeah. everybody would be like, Hey, what are you doing this week? What are you doing on your days off? What are you guys doing tonight? I was, uh, I played sports in high school and that's like stuff I liked, you know, when we, when we went to work, you know, for the most part, people wanted a PT, people wanted to they wanted to get learn how to cut, you know, use chainsaws. And uh, it was neat. It, you've not only do you travel and you see cool stuff, but it was, um, a lot of people that, I don't know, they liked being around each other. Yeah. And so that appealed to me. And I, I had, that was what I had seen for myself watching my dad's, you know, the engines at Buck Meadows mm-hmm. and the Forest people. But it was nice to actually start to experience that in the workplace. Kind of get a taste of it. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, man, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. I'm getting paid to do this, you know? But the, uh, I had, I was still in Groveland. You know, I'm still staying with my parents. My brothers are getting out of high school type stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little rowdy. And I'm in a, t- a small town that, like, I need to get out of. Yeah. I needed to go experience. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I need to go experience life. So a um, couple of the dudes from the Groveland area that I worked, some worked on the Groveland crew and engines with me. We, you know, we went up to, for the winter up in Chico. So we ended up. Dude, that's funny. I had my bachelor party in Chico, all because of the brewery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a great time. I mean, I love it there. It's, it's a great cool. time. So we, we, uh, it was pretty neat. You kind of see how work. You you can meet a lot of people, um, become your friends, and all of a sudden they're lifelong friends. Yeah, that you're you know all of a sudden your roommates with. You know what I mean? And you didn't even know them. You know, right before that. Yeah, never met them before. But you, when you work with people this closely. Um, it's just such a different thing. That's a fire family thing, man. Exactly. Straight it's, up, dude. So I was like, man, this is pretty awesome. But I was definitely getting restless and uh, needed to get out of Groveland. Like, I, I mean, you know what? I'm what, however old at this point, you know, I've been out of high school for four, four years. And it's time to be like, all right, we, got, we need to have some direction. Yeah. So I uh, threw some, um, it used to be really easy to get hired and or move around in the Forest Service. Oh, it used you to know, be. like simple application. Yeah, it was somebody, paper, yeah, it was yeah. all paper. It, and they had like a, you know, admin person, you turn it into, boom, it was done. Okay, everything was pretty simple. Yeah. So I moved down to the Cleveland with some, uh, worked for a dude who used to be on Stanislaus. So it was like a friend of my cat, my captain got mm-hmm. me hooked up down there. And uh, so we, so I go down there uh, for a season and saw a lot of fire, a whole different type of fire than the Stanislaus. I had gone through lightning complexes and a lot of big fires on the Stanislaus, but not a lot of IAs, if that makes sense. You know, like human caused big ass campaign fires. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. lightning sieges, 
stuff like that. But on the Cleveland, it was just every day you're rolling to, you know, different IAs and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, that appealed to me. It was fun. But what was missing was the camaraderie part. Isn't that weird, dude? How like you can go to a different district and it's like totally different. Yeah. It's either people clash or people are just super tight knit. Like, yeah. It's super weird. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't like that part. So I was in the barracks down there by myself. And really, there was not a lot of connection. Um, when people split from work, they split from work mostly. Yeah, they just do stop. And, and I'm out. Exactly. So being when we were busy, it was awesome. But when it was slow, so I was trying to cover on other engines as much as possible. There was actually an ambulance station there because all the accidents. So yeah, even at night, I'd be bored and be like, hey, can I go with you guys? Go on a ride along. Yeah, just you know, go on a ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, I mean, that should tell you how boring some of it was. <laughs> I mean, who would do that now, you know? But uh, or I, I would not do that now. I'd say. Hey, man, I've, I've worked in slow stations. I totally get it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of at a point where uh, that year in 99, there were some really large fires. Um, I think it was, I can't remember if it was the Kirk Complex or what it was called. Um, but we did multiple tours. Um, back then, it was still, I believe it was 21 days. That stuff didn't switch to 14 still after. 2000. Was it 2001? Yeah, it was something like that, early 2000. So, which was good with me because, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, two to one came from 94. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. And then 2001 is when they did the tour change. Tour change. Yeah. Something right around there. Yeah. I'll buy off on that. And so I'm sure one of our listeners is going to correct me. Like, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's how it works, man. Um. So, I I just. I was sitting there and sitting in the engine, not doing anything for however many days it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm not saying this is like how all engine life goes, but this was my experience on this, this season of this fire. And while we're sitting there, I watched multiple hotshot crews hiking by to go do stuff. And it kind of clicked in my head. I was like, oh, I remember what, you know, what Rack said about hotshots. I was like, man, that does look pretty badass. So, I was at a, a crossroads, like I said, where I was about to leave, just be done with the Forest Service September employee. Yeah. I was just like, man, this is not challenging me. Um, You're stagnating. I was, sta- I was stagnant. Yeah. And I didn't want to go back to the stance loss because, I, you know, I, I needed to go away from where I grew up, that type of stuff. Um, so I sat there and so I hit up my dad and I said, hey, dude, I think before I call this, I want to get on. A, I want to try out a hot truck crew. And so he's like, all right. Um, and he got me in contact with somebody that he uh, has known and trusted for uh, forever. As far as being like a super, super good hotshot, you know, real smart with fire. Um, he just said, he said, hey, man, he's a good dude. He'll keep you safe. He's going to teach you how to fight fire. Yeah. But he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Usually the people that are super dialed. I mean, it's kind of another stereotype of fire, right? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. That's what I've seen. And what he meant by that was, uh, you know, he's just like, hey, he's he's very to the point. Yeah. And he's not going to coddle you. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so uh, I was like, okay, I can do that, you know. And uh, he nailed it, uh, you know, like <laughs> spot on. But I went out um, and went up to the to the El Dorado Hotshot base and met up with a couple of captains who I instantly respected and was like, dude, these guys are awesome. Yeah. I saw the facility, the area. I had never really spent any time on Highway 50 um, at all. It's beautiful country, man. And I was like, man, this is a good spot. And then uh, especially, I, I just instantly was like, man, it felt right. 
And so um, it's funny. I went on spring break with a couple of my buddies and we went down to Mexico. Had a blast. We come back and they had job offers and I did it. Ooh. And we both were all in Chico. And I was like, what the hell? I was tripping. I'm like, oh my God, how did I, what did I do? Yeah, what did I miss? What's going to find out they'd actually called my parents' house and told them, hey, give us a call, you know, that type of stuff. So yeah. I actually had a job offer, just not there. You know, I didn't get anything in the mail or a phone call on our answer machine at our apartment, which was good because most of the time drunk people erased our messages in <laughs> our apartment. So I remember actually planning to not have to deal with that. And then, then it kind of backfired on me. Yeah. I panicked. So we, um, so that kind of set me up, if that makes sense. That's how life, you know, there's a couple of moments there where I, you know, I was over it, kind of done. And uh, my first season as a hotshot, specifically my first week was, so like the bait, you know, the basic two, two weeks that we put in yeah, a week, my first into two weeks, my first season on Eldo, um, they had clean house, basically a lot of, they got rid of or people left. So it was like 14 new people. Oh shit. So it was like a brand new crew. Yeah. 99 was pretty rough on hotshot crews because they all spent so much time out in the wilderness on the Shasta and the six rivers mm-hmm. and all those places. And, uh, they got their asses kicked and. So there was a lot of turnover. Yeah. And so I came into, they did an excellent job. I mean, it, when I look at who actually got hired, I mean, there's across the boards, people that are like, you know, chief officers or superintendents of uh, other crews right now. So it was, they, I don't know how they pulled that off, but they actually hired um, really well for the most part. You know, it, it's kind of a good thing though. If you had a full turnover, I mean, usually we'd say, oh God, we don't have the, you know, the OGs of the crew, but sometimes if you have a full turnover, it's a fresh start, you know? Yeah. You can train and groom people how you want them to be or the crew, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I, it makes sense. So it, uh, it was weird um, for me because uh, our superintendent had, uh, it was not a good experience for him the year before. Mm-hmm. And so, he was very, I would say, looking back at like how I would say I would have felt in the same situation. Had I been in the soup and had that much turnover, you know, been through what I went through the year before, you're kind of guarded, right? Like, okay, these guys, we don't know. Get dialed or yeah, so you're, so you're, you're not putting too much time into uh, getting to know them yet. Because you're like, all right, are these guys pieces of shit? Or are they uh, going to be real? Yeah. And it probably was, in all honesty, besides teaching us or briefing us, it was probably a few months before. There was like a sigh and like, okay, you come over and, and actually start to get to know us type stuff and realize like, oh, these, all right, we're actually, all right, we're good. You know, we did some good stuff. And from that moment on, I really saw like the crew really develop and start to click. Yeah. Because, uh, and like I said, I get it from a, you know, a, a human side of things. You definitely, um, being a superintendent's hard. Okay. You have to walk a lot of different lines and navigate people and the fire grounds sometimes are the easiest part of the job. Um, it's yeah. the people part of things that, and the families and stuff like that that can be the hardest. Oh yeah, dude. One of my, one of my mentors, uh, Billy Britt, he's, he's a local dude. He's a great guy. He, uh, he would always tell me like, all right, now listen, you're managing people or, or managing fires or managing a crew. And the easiest part of this job is putting out fire. You put the cold stuff on the hot stuff, right? Managing people, that's what's going to make you or break you. Yeah, you a whole human element. That's something that always lived with me, and that translate even e- 
even into like outside of fire as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. B- Billy Britt's an awesome dude. He's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was, uh, every time we ran into him on fires over here, he was like one of my favorite people. Yeah. He's a good, good, yeah. Good dude. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, my first, the first week though, specifically, and I, I would tell the crew this later on in life during our, uh, once I became superintendent down the road, say my first week, I almost quit. I was in so much pain. I was so, I, I, I don't know if I was full of myself or what, you know, I thought, Oh, I'm going to come in there. I'm going to do super good. But I was getting smoke on, uh, luckily we had 14 new people Yeah. on a returning crew. They probably would have just booted me out. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily we were all in it together. Um, a lot of us had, I think, underestimated what hotshot crews were. I definitely did. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I've I never ass whooped. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It was terrible. I, uh, I don't think I've ever gone to bed so sore, tired, and mostly disappointed in myself. <laughs> hey, at least you didn't wash, man. I got washed. Yeah. I was, I was a broken man. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm, it sucked. Yeah. It's, uh, I get it, man. But I, uh, I was at the point, like I said, had it been a returning crew, yeah, I, that probably would have been my story right there. And we talk about timing and everything in life. And I just so happened to make this choice on a year where there was huge turnover. Yeah. And it was hard to find people. So this was, you know, everybody was hiring big time at that point. So like I said, I got kind of lucky on the placement and timing. Um, but I remember, um, God, just feeling so, so much pain. Yeah. And, um, I tell this to the, I would tell this to the crew later on. Like I said, like we've, I've walked, I've been in your shoes. This is going to hurt. Okay. This is why we talked to you in the off season about things you can do. Make life a little bit easier. Make life a little bit easier for yeah. yourself. And you just, you know, we don't expect, we don't have time to get you in shape when you get here. You need to come here ready to go. I made that mistake, man. And they were telling me and telling me, I'm like, oh, of course I was a cocky, you know, 20 year old kid. And that was the first year at AD. Luckily they saved me. They spared me. I definitely washed out of that program of the hotshot crew. Luckily, they said, "All right, we're going to put you on an engine, get you in the d- development league." Basically, yeah. So, luckily, they didn't just kick my ass to the curb because I was an AD. They could have done that. Yeah, absolutely. Kick rocks, dude. But they didn't. Yeah, so. they still they saw. I mean, they saw like, "Hey, you're not quite here yet, but you're." Dude, this is my first year. I tried a rookie on a hotshot. Yeah, that's yeah, dumbest idea I've ever made in my life. Yeah, that's that's pretty tough. <laughs> we hire very. That does not happen very often. No. It's very few and far between. Yeah. And the uh, the big picture though is like I had to go get my I had to pick up my boots and plaster and the dude that I joined the crew with was like, "Hey, dude, let's bail. <laughs> like, let's leave." And I was like, oh, I actually thought about it. I God, seriously thought about messy. like yeah. I thought about like hitting the road and just like packing up my shit, you know, because I couldn't face these dudes. Like, oh my god. Um, but I thought about my parents, you know, I thought about my dad and, you know, he had talked to the soup to get me there. And I was like, man, I can't. And honestly, if it wasn't for that, I might, I might've bailed. Really? I might've tucked tail and just went and ran. Huh? No, that's perseverance, man. Right there. And so I was like, no, I, I was like, I can't do this. And the other guy was like, oh shit. All right. Yeah. And he actually knew my dad too. He worked for my dad. So he's like, yeah, I can't do that to Gary. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, whether that, you know, it felt real. Like, I was like, dude, I'm out. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that, man, because like w- when you're coming onto a fire crew or you're trying your first year of a hotshot crew or whatever in the fire service, you look at your overhead, like the margin of life, right? Oh, yeah. But little do we know in those rookie boots, 
that you probably experienced the same trials and tribulations that we are going to. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. We all see it's all the same shit, you know? And that was my biggest message to them. It's like, hey, we have... Most of those people have walked in your shoes. There are people to get jobs that yeah. skip a bunch of ranks and we all know those stories. Fast tracks, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so they, I can't say that, but for the majority of the people that I know and respect, you know, they've been the rookie. They've been the window washer. They've been the fuel person. They've been the... Jerry, Jerry Chan. Oh, yeah. Well, all, <laughs> of that, all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. The, the never any of those old jobs. And so that's the most valuable part of anything is walking in their shoes. So when yeah. you are like, man, I'm tired. Why, why isn't this shit get done? You know, I can't in the morning. So you're like, oh, I, I remember that job kind of sucked, actually. Oh, yeah. And you cut on a little slack. Or you also know the other end of that. Like, hey, you can get this done faster than that. Because I used to do it. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's both sides of that. You know what I mean? You, you're like, you can't, you can't uh, fool me. I know you can get this one done. <laughs> But oven fucking cute. <laughs> yeah, cute. Oh yeah, the water one always. Yeah, all those. You know, all those. Jobs. It's an ass crack in the morning. Dude. Oh man, it's terrible. So the yeah, uh, terrible. Oh yeah. Oh dude, it, it is. It's it's like uh, never ending, like thankless jobs. Oh yeah. You know, and if they're not done, then you're the whole crew fails. Yeah, and you're yeah. Gonna, you're just getting yelled at. Oh yeah. So it was just you know I look back at life and that's kind of where you know I was getting at that we're we're at that point where. I had done a few few temp seasons, and now I uh, made it through my. Sorry, I'm trying to grab you a coaster. <laughs> if you look in that box back behind you, there's a coaster that we don't have to set the drink on the ground. That's empty anyway. Well, why is it empty? Well, I drink it all, of course. <laughs> so, for everybody who's listening or watching, this is Rachel. Hello, Humphrey. Hello, this is Aaron's wife. Thanks for having us on. Am I not close enough? There, there you go. There you go. And you can move that thing anywhere you want. And, uh, as long as it's comfortable for you, I'm good with it. Is it good? Yeah, that's right. good. Do you need to get a refill? Do <laughs> you want me to leave? No. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to hear this next part. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so no shit, there it was. <laughs> Anyways, man, I'm sorry. To interrupt oh, it's you. all good. So basically, you know, I'm dragging this out too long. Um, no, you're we, we got our first week. My Dude, first take week, as long as you want, man. And that was the hardest part. And once I got through that, I was like, "Wow, I can't." You know, I came in. Um, I was humbled, and I. But I, at the same time, I found one of the best feelings I've ever known, and by far in the workplace for sure, is just the when you hurt. It's everybody's hurting at the same. It's it's all, you know, on every PT. It's not just you oh, yeah. having a hard time. It's, it's, it's side, everybody. Man. You know, everybody is you know between poison oak or just the chafing or strains and aches and the heat. Everything. You're all in that together. There's no like going around the subject. This job sucks. Yeah, there's austere. It's brutal. It's backbreaking. It sucks. It, and for how bad it sucks, it also makes it. Like one of the best things ever. Yeah. Because of the acts, which I know most people, people listening that have done it understand that. But people that have, it's like, man, that sounds stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why would you, why would you say all that? How terrible it is, but also how great it is. But it's because of the mental and physical challenges people go through together as a team. What you can get done as a group and as a team is unmatched. Oh, yeah. It's unmatched. Places that you, I mean, just, just a normal, you know, leapfrog and saw teams in a brush field. 
or out in the desert, you know, even if it's cold, you know, cold trailing, whatever, the amount of ground that's covered, or one of those hikes that you're just like, you know, it looks like it's right there, but in reality, you're looking like it's this. like forever, <laughs> which is like one of the worst things about GPS and Avenza. Mm-hmm. When you actually can click at the end of where you're going and go, shit, that's like three and a quarter miles up the hill instead of being, oh, don't look too bad. Yeah. And uh, then at least you're just fooled slowly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, I think there's a greater sense of pride too, but it's a true sense of pride, not in like an arrogant way of doing your job or like, or like accomplishing something. But when you actually complete, like you tie in line to somewhere, you yes. put out a fire, there's a great sense of accomplishment behind that. And you take a lot of fucking pride in it because you suffered, you sweat, you bled probably. It's it's cool, man. It's a one of a kind experience, and I would trade that for the damn world, man. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing that uh, there's not another thing in the world with respect, you know, the work for any any job that could match that feeling. Maybe the military. Oh, I, hate, oh, I'm sure. I hate drawing that comparison between fire and the military, but from what I've heard from my buddies that are in the military and they see what I do, or they've had both the military experience and fire experiences, I get the same shit, dude. Yeah, yeah. Long periods bordered by, you know, short periods of terrifying, I'm going to die stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's that's the funny part is that I don't think people realize, I did not realize, was how much it seems like it's all or nothing. Yeah. You'll be sitting there waiting and waiting and like, oh, my God, why are we doing something? Or, you know, you're getting hidden or staged. We all know those games. Yeah. Hide the hot shot. Yeah. Or it's like game on, just holy shit. And there was hardly any in between. Yeah, you know, every once in a while there'd be something that you could characterize as that, you know, like a, a more mellow, slower fire. But it seems like it's 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 far left, far right. You know what I mean? All or nothing type job. Yeah, there's no in between. It's not like just a moderate pace where you can cruise. I mean, if you're slow, you're PTing your dick into the dirt. If you're busy, you're cutting line and doing good shit. You're putting out fire. You know? Yeah. There's nothing really in between. It's yeah. It's, yeah. And that's you know, I guess for me, maybe the in between would be the. uh as you develop the te- maybe the teaching and the, you know, be- getting on cadres, you kind of fill those, yeah. those, those moments with that stuff, you know, but other than that, yeah, as far as the job goes, it's, it's either some crazy burn or you're just waiting to be set somewhere else. Dude, speaking of the teaching thing, man, I love doing that. Man. I went down to the Academy in Sacramento and uh, I volunteered to be a crew boss down there. And that was one of the best times of my life, man. It was yeah. awesome. It was like one of the pinnacles of my entire fair career. It was fun. One of the best things about it is not only are you passing on knowledge and learning at the same time from other people is the relationships that you're making. Oh yeah. I still talk to those guys. And you meet so many people that are great. And also at the same time, you see the ones that you're like, man, I stay away from those ones. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's both ways, right? I mean, oh yeah. Still, you're like, dude, if that person's ever in charge of my division, uh, you know, that's a red flag right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You better keep your thoughts <laughs> Yeah, dude. Oh man. So that's interesting. All right. So since I have the opportunity to ask you the question, I mean, you're a former hotshot superintendent. Now you've moved on from that, those shoes, but you're still in the fire realm. Mm -hmm. What is your definition of a hotshot? Every time I get a chance, like I ask Ben the same damn question. So what's your definition of a hotshot? So we, every year, uh, so I was a superintendent for five or six years Mm -hmm. and, uh, one was detailed in five, Five real years, right? Yeah. So that was what I would always ask. Like, what does being a hotshot mean to you? And I wanted everybody to kind of answer. But pretty much what I've already said to you is, you know, an, an individual that wants to be part of the, you know, a team for the greater good. Like somebody who puts everybody else, you know, ahead of yourself to be better as a whole. Yeah. 
but more importantly, like a problem solver. We have too many people in this world that make excuses and uh, find a reason not to do something. For me, a hotshot is somebody who finds a, re- a way to do it. There's always going to be things that are unsafe, and there's going to be safety cards pulled, and there's and rightfully so. Yeah. But with every one of those, there's an option to do something else. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that gets missed nowadays is that just a lot of giving up right away. And what I have seen really, you know, switch um, is there's less and less people that want to find ways to do things like the alternative route. The alternative it might yeah. be really hard. And um, it seems to me like people just fall back right away. Well, that's the thing, though. It's like there's always an easy wrong and a hard right. Yeah, exactly. So for me, being a hotshot, it, 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 it's that. It's the, it's the person or people that want to go get shit done and find a way to do it. And of course, safely and, um, but, and efficiently. But that's it. We, when, when you're ordered to a fire or whatever you're ordered to, the expectation is that you're coming there as a type one crew and you're coming there to help solve a problem. They usually are going to put you in an area that they're like, man, this is super remote. Really it's bad. Exactly. It's but just you need to be self, self-sufficient. Go help. Go tell us what, what can we do out there? Mm-hmm. Or it could be some complex firing operation or whatever, you know, that's what you're there for. Yeah. And I think in the last handful of years, I was more, there was more disappointing. I, I'd see a lot of things were disappointing to me. As far as that would go, you know, people, whether it was, uh, you know, teams themselves or different agencies or whatever that would just make this the safety excuse in my mind way too soon. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I, I, I get some of it. There's behind the scenes conversations that occur that are out of fire chief's hands. Yeah. You know, with the way the land is managed in certain places. Um, Got it. But, yeah. Yeah. Some of it. But to me, that's, you know, being a hotshot is. Just the person that um, I, I think it's the best way I always looked at it was every day there's somebody on the crew that's going to be hurting. And you got to look at it like, man, I'm going to step up to help you on your day. You're going to because you you will definitely help me on my day, my bad day. Yeah. And it just rotates. You know, you could hear it when a Sawyer's dying, carry the saw. You know, we're on day, whatever. And it's just, and you're just, you know, you're on poison oak meds and you haven't slept and you're like, hey, dude, pass it off. I'll take it. I'll take it. And they're like, no, no, fuck you. No. <laughs> but at some point, finally, it's like, hey, dude, pass the saw. Give me the saw. It's, it's, it's not okay. a question. It's a demand. And then you do it and you see it. Everybody helps each, you know, it's, it's people are there to help each other. Even though the last thing you want to do is actually take that saw because this hill sucks. Oh, yeah. But it it's happens. what's right. It's the hard right. Exactly. So yeah. that's, you know, that's, I know that I, I didn't give you an exact definition, but. That's pretty much my picture of what an ideal hotshot is. Gotcha. And now if you were to explain what a hotshot crew does, because I don't even think I've asked this question to any of my guests, but you know, since everybody's listening now and we got you here and I have the opportunity, what would you describe what a hotshot crew actually does? It's such an ambiguous term. You know? It's like, oh, you're a hotshot. Well, what, what is a hotshot? Oh, you're a little kill fire, because that's usually what the public says. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, for the most part of California, a lot of times they thought we were inmates. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, most of us probably should have been, but <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. Um, like I said, luck and timing in life plays a part of things, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, like, well, like you know, we've hired plenty of great inmates. You know, yeah. my best friend is one. Um, Mondo's a great dude. Exactly. Yeah. Um, awesome. So 
for me, a hotshot crew is, it, it just ties into what I just talked about. It is a team of people that when called upon, you need to, well, whatever the assignment is, it could be, uh, I mean, I've actually gone to do, uh, you know, like an American Samoa, you know, hurricane type disaster relief. No shit. Or you could help FEMA with uh, handing out MREs at places like that. Yeah. But you're called upon because you're organized and highly trained. And you come with um, certain levels of qual- qualifications and experience that has to be met. And if it's not met per our standards, then you're not a hot check group. Yeah, exactly. So they, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate about um, whether they should be eased a little bit because um, right now they're losing so many people or if they should make, be made harder. But for me, a hot check crew. The people that have created these and tradition, history and tradition, it's there for a reason. Yeah. Dumbing down qualifications so that you can keep a title. Well, I think it'd be an insult to the generations past that built this whole hotshot program and developed it from the ground up quite literally. Correct. And it's a a slap in the fucking face. If if you really look at fire seasons right now and the the world we're living in environmentally with the burning conditions and fires, etc., I don't know why you would want to dumb down your specialty yeah i would think actually you might even want to make it harder <laughs> but as is it's fine it, it just it, it can't it can't get um it just don't you know what i mean make it yeah, dumb it down. Soft. Yes, yeah. exactly it can't get softer so i think the world's already turned soft enough um in most aspects <laughs> it's true There's enough it's line, bud. Yeah. so the uh i mean the truth like i said uh you know it's not like a uh dictionary answer but it's it's a a crew a team that's going to show up with high level qualifications and experience, and we will be there to help support and guide the decisions and implementation of plans and adjusting and being self sufficient. Um, you know that comes with you know highly you know like sea fallers, burn bosses, firing bosses, felling bosses, ICs, ICs. I mean, you can basically drone manage operators, drone operators. Yeah. Um, it comes with pretty much everything you can think of to help, you know, especially a type three incident and or taking over, you know, divisions on type two, type one incidents, that type of stuff. So, well, you also have a critical role in like being the recon as well. Oh, yeah. You guys are usually out in front. Endless scouting. Yeah. yeah. Endless, endless scouting. Endless scouting and, um, and just information gathering, that type of stuff. So. Um, every region you go to, every agency you work for, it's all going to be a little different. Yeah. Depending on their experiences with hotshot crews. And their mission too. Because every agency has a different mission. Yes. And it took, it took you know, honestly, it took a little while for CAL FIRE. Um, it took us really having to educate them. We built PowerPoints and we went to their ops meetings to explain what we do and our shifts and how we can help them. And that we're not inmates and that we can help scout. And, uh, you know, they're, they're so rank oriented that it was really hard for them to see like, oh, wow. And once they saw it, for the most part, once they started seeing what we could do, it was like game on. Yeah. You know, they really, really, um, I, they missed out on a huge opportunity for ever, probably. But, um, okay. Yeah. Cause Cal Fire and the Forest Service, they never, well, days, this is way long ago. This is days past, but they never really meshed well. Like. Cal Fire Land was Cal Fire Land, Forest Service Land, Forest Service Land. You had whatever private or whatever in between. I believe Cal Fire has responsibility for private land, right? Yes, they do. Yes. And I never, I haven't spent a lot of time in Region 5, so I don't really know how it works. So, 
And there's always going to be that, uh, probably not so as bad now, but there's that uh, forever, you know, little rift between each other. Who's oh yeah, who's bigger, who's badder type there's shit. Definitely a pissing contest there. But so it was funny, you know. Side story, real quick. We went down. We uh, built. We got a. We uh, created a presentation, like I said, to kind of give them information at their meetings, and they they uh, invited us down, and. It was with their ops and their branches. And it was Brian Anderson, who was the chair, read five chair at the time. And Ben came with me. Yeah. And it was, first of all, it's awesome because we got to really talk about the differences and what we could do. It was yeah. really eye opening. Yeah, see the thing. But we, we started off, you know, very humble. We're like, hey, dudes, you know, there's this, you know, riff, but just really tell us, what do you think about, what do you think about Pacha Cruz? You know, and it was, it was real quiet for a minute that somebody's like, you know, physically fit. And then, and then all of a sudden it was like, um, smelly, <laughs> dirty, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Beards, uh, egos. And it started coming out. We're like, Hey, this is great. Like, let's talk yeah. about this stuff. And then let's we said, about image, man. so then we said, let's share some stories. Like, talk, why don't you talk about your experiences with Pacha Cruz? And then it was almost like therapy, you know, people are venting and we got to say some stuff back. Yeah. They're like, well, what do you think? And so we got to say, you know, some of our experiences. We don't get out of the truck. <laughs> so we, uh, it was great. But the funny thing is, so then when they, a couple of them would tell us like, oh, I have this crew and they're just asshole ego driven. And I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, we could come off like that. But we're like, just curious. When was that? It was like 1989. Oh shit. And we're like, man, you're holding on to that from 1989. Exactly. But that's, you know, these these are people's experiences, and as humans, we do this kind of stuff. Yeah. When you get your first experience with some something or someone, and it doesn't go good, you're instantly it's easy to write some something off. Oh yeah, one bad impression, man. It's yeah, yeah. So that that stuff matters, and that was something that really hit home, and we were trying to really pass on. I think it's important for well everybody, really, but we we're trying to do that with Anshak crews. Be like, hey, just remember, you know. Their side is just like our side. They all talk. And if they have a bad experience with one of us, we don't be with all of us. It's, and exactly. So we need to, like, you're, you yourself, you represent all of us. The, not just the Eldorado hotshots, but the Region 5 hotshots and the National hotshots. It's a family. Yeah. And so for every, for every uh, interaction you have, it's, it, you really pave the way for the future. Oh, absolutely. And yes, you gotta, I mean, I don't care where you are. You have to bite your tongue a lot, play games and this and that. Be politically correct in some sense. But in reality, if it's safe, you know, um, sometimes you just gotta make people feel like it's their plan. You know, you kind of feed it to them be like, oh, great plan, let's do it. And, uh, (laughs) but if you want to get your crew out in the front in the action and doing the good shit, that's kind of the games you have to play. You do. And, uh, well, it's politics involved in that shit. But I think as, you know, I think as, See, these guys and gals work so hard. They give everything for you. And if you can just, you got to play your part, you know, to get them into the stuff that you train for. Yeah. If you are standoffish or whatever with other agencies or too cool or always saying, oh, this shit's stupid. These guys are dumb. Then you're going to sit in the trucks back at whatever DP, you know? Yeah. You're going to be sitting there staging. Exactly. Yeah. While the other people are doing stuff or they're using the wrong people to do the stuff you should be doing. Sure. And which is becomes a safety deal, right? Or or just a tactical, you know, clusterfuck. But um, I think that's the one of the biggest things for me, I always had to put my ego down and make sure that everything 
everything that I did was to represent everybody, you know, the hotshot community. Hotshot community. Yeah. And try to better everything moving forward. Yeah. And just drop the ego. And yeah, there's times, I mean, I, I, I would call banner DJ and I'd be like, dude, I got to get you right now. And I pick him up and just, we'd shut the doors and windows and I would yell. Oh, mind therapy. Yes. Yeah. Mind, just be mind like, therapy session. Please. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's not just toward, I mean, that's just a general that wasn't, you know, directed towards Cal Fire or anybody. That yeah. was just, well, it's just anybody online. Cause anybody online. Random could piss you off. Oh, they just want to vent. Yes. Like my buddy, Joe, uh, Bronson, he, uh, he was probably like, he was like my mentor. He was my old captain. He got bumped up to the uh, AFMO position and or not AFMO, AFOS. And, uh, yeah. We same thing, same relationship that you and Ben had. So, yeah, yeah, probably. To be honest with you, the most frustrating conversations, and this makes me laugh right now, uh, was is with smoke jumpers. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> here we go. Uh, and you know why I'm laughing right now? But, uh, <laughs> that that was good for Ben. Um, the uh, just from other places, it, it's all great, but yeah. it's it's really uh, like I said, when you work with so many different. People in different regions and uh, agencies. It's very challenging. Oh yeah, dealing with just the different personalities, a way of doing things. Well, it's the thing too. Is like now you say like Cal Fire and the pissing contest that they have with the Forest Service and vice versa, or like you know, hot shots and the jumpers and the engines and the hot shots or whatever engines and crews. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're gonna have that that conflict. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same team and we still have a mutual respect for each other. Because I can call my buddy Renee right now and be like, hey, dude, you'll never believe this. And he's like, ah, oh, piece of shit, Forest Service guys, <laughs> piece of shit, BLM guys, or whatever. But we still have that mutual respect and we actually genuinely give a shit about each other. So despite our differences in agency or mission or title or whatever, we're still on the same team. And that's the one thing that's very unique about fire in general, like even municipal guys. Yeah, so respect each other. Yep, the absolutely. Day. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. Yes, I. Uh, so does that answer the question of what I think a hot shot is? Or did I? <laughs> yes, I think. It I? Does. Okay. <laughs> so you've had the opportunity to see this stuff with your dad. This is a generational firefighting thing, right? Your dad, your mom, now you, mm-hmm. and now Rachel comes into it. The uh, picture here, and how did you guys handle that? Because you put. Basically, I'm not saying that you put her through this, but you've seen this happen with your mom and your dad, and now you're living those same shoes. We're living those same shoes. So what's your perspective on this? On being a hotshot wife? Yeah. Um, Well, I met Aaron almost 19 years ago now. He came in for a crew party at the bar I was working at. And um, we dated for a few years before we got married. And so I think that kind of established what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when, I think you were, were you a squad boss when we met? 2001? Uh, 2002, uh, actually. Probably a senior firefighter about to be a squad boss. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I think it's just more of a learn as you go kind of thing. I mean, I didn't have experience with fire before this. My, you know, my family, none of my family members did that. So this is a fresh experience for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then once we had kids, that just, Totally changed my world, our world, because it is, it's hard being the one that left at home and you worry, um, especially the first few years, every time you'd leave, I'd cry, didn't want to leave. And then it was hard, um, him being gone for so long, trying to keep a relationship going. 
when someone's not there like six months out of the year. Oh yeah. It's difficult for anybody, I would think. But um, you know, just learning how to be a family with someone that's not there all the time. And then on top of that, it's it's not that they're just gone. It's they're doing a extremely dangerous job. So he kind of a lot of times he was, you know, he wouldn't tell me about things that would happen unless he had to. Like if somebody got hit with a tree, then of course he had to tell me. Or, you know, getting phone calls from his parents about when they got burnt over. Yeah. That was a difficult call because she said the crew got burnt over. That was the first <laughs> the crew. <laughs> the okay. crew got burnt over. And then she's like, but don't worry, Aaron's okay. I'm like, okay, we well, could have Maybe would reverse that. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, dealing with that just—it's difficult. Um, being the one that's always home, being the one that's trying to hold it together, and then, of course, when they come home, it's like they forgot how to be a part of the family. Almost. I mean, because especially with kids, which you'll learn here shortly, oh, yeah. how, how quickly things change. No, nope, that's not that's not what the kids do anymore. We don't do it that way anymore because they're they're grown, they've changed, they've developed further. Um, for stupid things like him putting the pots in the wrong cover. Like, <laughs> you're not here. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I need to go there. <laughs> she takes my tools. My wife, uh, Jackie, she takes the uh, tools out of my garage and pushes, like, puts them out in like random places. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> you know, like, like and shovels and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Hey, where's my chainsaw? <laughs> Even though I don't have a chainsaw anymore. But yeah. Yeah. Just growing on that. I mean, I think also too, you know, he's, it's such a stressful job for him and especially the, him going from, um, you know, being one of the crew members and then being on a leadership role and just the stress that he would come home with there. It was just difficult. Like, um, you know, there's, there's this aspect that is true with every single firefighter that I know of is when they come home, they want things to be absolutely perfect. And they can't, they have a really hard time dealing with if things are not right, if they're not the way it's supposed to be. Because a lot of it, I think, has to do with your jobs because uh, everything's procedure because for safety reasons and because you need, just like you were saying, you need to know where your chainsaw is. It's, yeah. it's important. It needs to be dialed. Chain <laughs> yeah. chart, fuel, fuel, exactly. full Yeah, Everything needs to be where it's supposed to be. And then everybody needs to do their job the way they're supposed to do their job. So when, when they come home, they kind of expect family life's going to be that way too. But yeah. that's not the way children are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a shit show. Children don't do what they're supposed to do. That ain't that the truth. And uh, wives don't do what they're supposed to do either all the time. So There's that too. But yeah. neither do the husbands that's on the same true. token. So. Yes, correct. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that you have a higher set of expectations, especially being uh, that high up in the leadership chain. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that you know that would cause some conflicts coming home. I mean, it caused conflict with me. And I was just you know, I was just an engine operator. I didn't have shit. So well, we had this. I had this running joke a lot because he would uh, he would just this well, a little anecdote here. So he would he walked in the house one day and I was um, sitting in the living room. And he walks by and he sees that the dog bowl is empty. So he walks by the dog bowl and says, Hey, babe, can you get the dog some food? <laughs> like, um, what do I look like? You're a rookie. That's why I said, I'm like, I don't work for you. Do you, are you, are, do you know that? And he's like, oh, well, I just, like, oh. I'm like, yeah, you, you can pick up the dog food, yeah. put it in the bowl. But it's kind of things like that, you know, just getting used to trying to find a balance. And it's, and again, it's difficult. It's, you know, winter times and off season things would be easier, but then, 
See, that's the thing for me is like wintertime was always a hard, hard part of the year. Yeah. I, I don't know about what your perspective is on that. Was the wintertime harder for you, like the off season or? Well, you're a suit, so you never really get an off season. Well, it, it kind of depends. So when I took the GS, the senior firefighter job in 2001, I think it was the, uh, I was a 13 and 13. I chose to work. So my winters, I still did training and I took assignments and did a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, you know, early on as a seat, you know, uh, younger firefighter, I didn't think it was too hard. I think when it really transitioned was, you know, once we were got difficult, um, yeah, I guess I was a squad boss slash turning captain when we got married. And, uh, when you have to balance, you know, the amount of training we have to go away to and going on uh, assignments and doing burning. And then if you're responsible for the burn, you got to patrol the burn all weekend. And you're always, all of a sudden, the you're trying to make your home a priority, right? Because it's wintertime. Yeah. But you're not really able to because everything revolves around, we got to get this burn. We got to get this cut. We got to do this. The trucks got to go into this, you know, because obviously we all, they have a piece of crap vehicles in the forest room. So to be uh, fair though, we put a shit ton of miles on. Them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And they're, um, but at some point, and I can't pinpoint it, it, it just all changed to the fact where you were never able to just relax at home. You know, things changed from being the, Oh, I don't have that much responsibility to you. All of a sudden you're responsible for the, you know, the crew. And then you're putting, not just your family, but you got to think about your employees, the dudes you work with, and, their, and then their families. And then all of a sudden you realize you ran out of room for yourself. Cups already for that, you know, and, and a lot of it you just expect. You, I would say at some point, I don't exactly know when, I just expected that Rachel was doing good, you know, like, and I didn't put any of the effort or time into it, making sure she was okay. Yeah. And it's just because that those conversations when you're already all taxed out, you can't really have like I couldn't find a way to have those conversations, if that yeah. makes sense. So it just becomes some stuff that becomes uh normal. And then when you do have conversations, um you're used to being able to talk like you do with the crew. And it's hard to adjust to trying to like have a conversation about love and kids and relationships and stuff like that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we spend arguably more time with your crew than you do with your own family. Yeah, absolutely. I remember just a couple of years ago trying to explain to him because he about how much how much time he's gone. He's like, well, you know, fire season only lasts from May to October. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm like, but even if that's true, you spend you, then you come home, then you're training. So you're gone a week here, two weeks there, yeah. or he's teaching. So there's another week or two, or maybe yeah, he's, he's got to go overnight for here. So he, I'm like, no, you're gone way more than that. You're you're hardly ever here, and even when you're here, he's not really here because he's thinking about what he has to do there. Yeah, you know when he's gone, and it's, or you're planning shit or packing or right. whatever. Well, our yeah. whole lives, I had we had to plan our wedding around fire season. I tried to plan kids around fire season, and it worked, but you know. Um, that, that was just the way it was. And it kind of sucked because I think as far as like mental health for, for him, just being able to have some relaxation time, we, you know, 
trying to fit in a vacation every April to go somewhere when, you know, well, we didn't, we didn't have the money because we just, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I was mostly stay at home mom for the most part. So it's not like we had extra income because we have three kids. So, you know, putting them in daycare would have been basically me, me working to put them in daycare. Yeah. Um, so him just being gone and then him, us trying to have conversations, it just, it became more and more difficult. You kind of push it off and, you, you know, you try to have conversations, but then they turn into arguments because it's... Well, shit's festered for so yeah. long. Yeah. And, you know, he sees it how he sees it and I see it how I do. And it's really, it's difficult to have that failure of communication because half half the year we're communicating via text message or, you know, a five-minute phone call. And then he still got, you know, he still has to talk to his kids or he wants to talk to his friends or his parents or something. So there's there's not that much time to be together and speaking and, you know... Exactly what you're saying. Like, you think emotions fester, you become resentful. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a relationship, but it's hard. it makes it tremendously harder when someone is not there and when you don't have the time or the, the opportunity to kind of work through what would be a normal issues between a husband and wife. Normal. Normal. But regular. Because yeah. we, you, we have lived different walks of life, I guess, right. wildly different. Uh, life than a majority of Americans out there. So, exactly. You know, you know, but you try, like for me, I always try to push things away. Just like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll get through it because I know it's, it's hard for him. Um, you know, there was a few times where I, I like when incidents would happen and it was something that was emotionally taxing on him or you could see it when he got, when he would get home. Oh, yeah. You I mean, see it on your face. Yeah. I might be. Instantly know. Yeah. On me. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was coming home upset or, you know, he was, he was angry. He was just angry when he would be home. And it was, that was just difficult. So it's like trying to uh, walk on eggshells. So not to make him, not to make him more angry or to, to set it off because, you know, we're at home. We want things to be good. Yeah. You know, he's only home for two days. So make it the best possible. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to talk about what, you know, you know any, any issues because we want to be happy for the two days he's home. But, which comes with a set of problems too, because now he he can't release all that. He can't talk right. about it too. So right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of it because I think he tried to shield me from a lot of what would be dangerous or you know to keep me from little flirting. ugly truths. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think obviously that doesn't really help in the long run because then you're just bearing it down, and you know, I kind of compartmentalize all a lot of that stuff. Because once you have children, then it's not just, oh, I'm worried about my husband. You know, I have to, you can't sit there and cry every time he leaves because then they cry. And then, you know, it's, it just compounds. So, kind of I mean, I'm in the same boat as you, man. I'd do the same shit to my wife. I think, <clears throat> sorry. I think across the board, it's the same conversation. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, when you, I think people are talking a lot more right now. And um, I think... It's almost always the same or very similar. Yeah. And I found that out. Um, well, a couple things before I get into the, the, le- the letter that I wrote, you know, I had a big response to it. But um, before that, I want to touch on, I remember a lot of times Rachel would say, why do we get along so good through text messages? And on fires, I, I just, I missed her so much. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be like, hey, I tried to text real quick and, and we would interact real well. But then like in real life, when I'd get home, what would keep me going through the days a lot of times on fires was thinking about 
them at home. Yeah. And I would picture like, and it's, I know it sounds stupid, but it's like this perfect little family world, right? The kids are playing. Why are you fans? Three and a half or two and a half kids, that kind of thing. She's at home cooking. Just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> the house is spotless. Yeah, the house is, yeah, the house is spotless. And uh, like all these things that, you know, regardless. And then you come home and it does, it, it doesn't match what has kept you in your head, you know, on, on the fire kind of yeah. going. And it's really hard. To just adjust to be like, wait, this is what actually life looks like. Oh, life is a total shit show, and it's this really easy to fall into a trap where you idealize everything. Yeah, it's. It, I did it all the time. Man. Yeah, and it's really. I think that was a lot of my downfall, I and mean, I couldn't just say I didn't know how to say that stuff. If that makes sense, but it was. And then you're already dealing with everything else, and this was like the one thing that was going to be perfect, yeah. and it's not. And so then all of a sudden you just. Oh, whatever, you know. Yeah, your expectations didn't really line up with reality. And yeah, well, kind of let down. And, and I mean, it's unfair. It's unfair completely. Oh, yeah. But it's, oh, it's it, it would feel like it almost becomes a, it almost became like a me versus her or vice versa. You know, where um, it felt like, of course, you know, at some point she probably resented the crew, you know, the job and the crew and all of this because they get all the attention. And at the same time, I'm thinking, all I do is bust my ass. Do you know what I do? You know how hard this is and the shit I've been through. Like, yeah. why can't you just make this perfect how I want it? <laughs> I mean, but that's the truth. I mean, that's the truth. That's where it all goes downhill. I mean, it goes, it goes backwards. It's completely unfair, really. Um, the amount of things, you know, I talked about my mom earlier. Yeah. Um, when I really look at me as a, when I was a kid, looking at what my mom had to do for us. And now here's Rachel and I'm on a hotshot crew been through a lot of really traumatic shit on the crew and we have kids and so she has to deal with navigating all of that and it was uh like i said super unfair that you know it's kind of like um people always think because you're a super you know you're a hot shot you have the answers to things all we're doing is fumbling our way through shit i mean we're literally just trying to we make mistakes um, on the fire line with handling of personnel issues and all this other stuff all the time. But what I found our biggest mistakes are is how we treat our personal life. Um, for everything else, um, I, of course, there's some big, big, terrible tactical errors that could happen, but the long term, like really ones that I could have seen just through a little communication, um, was personal life stuff. Yeah. That's like the one thing I look at now that I have been removed from that job for a year. Um, it all seems so silly. It's just, I mean, like just, why was I doing this shit in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Like how, I mean, just like, how could you be like this? Like, and you, you realize like the things that you put through your, you know, your brain and not, you know, everything, not sleeping, everything. It's, it's insane what the human body can do oh yeah and we feel for it too that's a weird fucking thing we become become gluttons absolute gluttons for punishment man because we we like we seek it almost it's like we're like an addict chasing a rock Hmm. it's weird i I think we do a real good job when to a fault where you see you almost have to justify your existence more like look at the things I have to do and you're almost finding ways to justify like, this is why I'm gone. This is why we have to do this and that. And instead of just being open and honest, like, you know, I'm trying really hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle this stuff. I'm hurting. I'm pretty fucked up. 
I don't know what to do. I think it's like a prideful thing too. You know, it's like we, oh, get, yeah. we get into that. It's like what Ben was talking about with his episode, the whole identity crisis thing that we kind of have. We like have these expectations of like identifying with being a hotshot, being that hard ass bad motherfucker that's out there swinging a Pulaski, you know, or cutting line. And we get sucked into that to the extreme to where that becomes our only identity. Mm. And that kind of like plays into that whole home dynamic as well. I know I was, I'm, I'm a guilty, I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I know I am. Yeah. It's all good. I was going to say, it. I mean, it, that is absolutely true. I mean, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of, um, I don't want to call it false pride, but like we're admitting weakness is not acceptable. Well, it wasn't for like a long yeah. time. And you, you saw this during your career and it's been major change since those days, the old school days. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, well, that, not that you're old. <laughs> you're not old by any means, but you've seen the old school leadership mentality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, also, a lot of you are men, which primarily, the, yeah. that's the way you're, you know, you're, you're taught that. You're taught it's ingrained into you not to be, not to cry, not to show weakness. Mm-hmm. But also, I think with us, um, it was frustrating because he would give 100% to his job. It was always 100%. And everybody loved him. You know, you hear, People who come up to me all the time. I got I'm, I've gotten cornered by people. They're like, "Oh, your hump's wife? Yeah. Oh, I love that dude. He's so awesome." I'm like, "Yep. Uh huh. You know, like I know." <laughs> but you know, so like, but then at home, um, I remember this though. Like he, you know, it was always our plan when when we had kids. I was going to stay at home because we didn't want to have other people raise our kids. That was going to be that was how we wanted to do it. Yeah. And, but then at the same time, when it came down to it, because you know we were always hurting for money every year. You know, but by the time winter rolls around there's no money left and then so it was like okay Rachel you need to get a job so you want me to be stay at home mom and somehow also make some money and then also keep the kids you know in line and keep the house clean so it was like it's just too much it was too much but I mean and I tried I tried my hardest but I felt like you know as the years wore on it was like I there was literally nothing I could do it was always it was it, it was difficult and we try to have conversations and you know he sees it like he never came out and said it but it's like you know, how it is how hard I work. I work really hard. And, um, you know, I feel like he thought that I didn't not appreciate, but I, you know, I, I didn't realize who he was or something. Didn't like understand. That. Yeah. Like, like, you know, that yes, yeah. I, that I should be more, um, appreciative or like, you know, kind of, uh, um, look at him like other people look at him wow. know, because, because yeah. of the way his job is, you know, what he does in his job, which he is, he wasn't a great, I mean, he was exceptional at what he did. But, you know, there is the line of work and home and it didn't really, it, it didn't translate very well. It's a bunch of crap. She never just bowed down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the funny thing, though. It's like you even addressed that. You just said that, like, yeah, I had these expectations of her that were just totally completely unrealistic. And your perspective there that you just stated, I've seen this repeated, this message, the same fucking message repeated over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if you're an edge captain, a squatty. Um, a hotshot superintendent. I've seen the same similar situation, the same story, almost verbatim, maybe with some minor nuances in between the individuals, but across the entire fire service. I mean, it's like no wonder why we're so prone to divorce or alcoholism or all these fucking problems that are our culture, I guess you can call it a wildland fire culture, deals with. Right. So oh, it's interesting to hear that actually on the podcast now because I've heard it, but now you guys confirmed it. Yeah. So 
well, it's difficult because I mean, especially what you're talking about, like the old school. I mean, when, right after uh, the crew got burnt over, um, uh, what year was that? 2006. 2006. So there was sort of a, a party. I can't remember which kind of, it was probably like a crew cohesion party or something like that. But uh, we were, all the all the women were corralled and we got, oh, we got a talking go. to. Um, and we were told, you know, not to ask. They can tell us if they want, but we're, we're not supposed to ask them any questions about, you know, how they're feeling or. They don't work for the fucking CIA. Yeah. But I mean, it was it was one of those things where, okay, this is your job. If you're going to be a firewife, your job is to be supportive. Don't ask questions and do all you can for them. Yeah. That was just it. And that was the mentality. And so that was, I mean, I that I got that talking to, which, you know, it upset me. And I told Aaron about it. And he's like, what? No, you know, fuck that. Don't listen to them. But I'm at the same time. Well, it's kind bullshit of, talking to you. It is. Yeah. But that's sort of how it did happen from there. I mean, that was how the life was yeah. for like everybody. It was crazy though, because... That, that one, that conversation should have never happened, but that was a different generation at a different is. time. Yeah. So times have definitely changed. But on the same token, it's also done, but not said nowadays. Right. Because we all know that the families, the family structure of a wildland firefighter family, the mom, the wife typically shoulders the burden of all the bullshit in the fire season. Mm-hmm. Period. There's no two ways around it. And it's really unfair. But our jobs dictate. I'm not justifying it or anything like that. I'm not justifying the fighting. I'm not justifying the the not wanting to talk about our our fucking problems or anything like that. I'm not talking about the bullshit. I'm not trying to justify any of that. But the reality of it is that we're gone for six to eight months out of the year. We're part time husbands, part time dads, and full time firefighters. And then we got to take care of the other families as well. Like Hump was saying here, that's we fall victim to that. But we feel obligated to do it. Right. And that's not to say, like, I, I feel like maybe I'm being too harsh here and not. I, I'm proud of everything he's done. Um, I, you know, I knew who he was before we got married. It was, yeah. you know, I, I signed up for this because I loved him and I was all I was all about it. Yeah. Um, but it's just uh, we're talking about, you know, trying to you know, part of what you know, like his letter that he wrote. It's just it's. There should be. There needs to be more support. There needs to be more open dialogue about what is helpful and what's not. And um, you know, just having some more support for because I mean, of course, these things are stressful. But there's a lot of PTSD that comes from like even just one fire incident could happen, and that's oh yeah, they don't get that help. I mean, with the Forest Service, they they offer some mental help, but it's like. It's well, a fucking joke. It's like six it six sessions, and that's it. And then on top, and then after that, it's like fifty dollars out of pocket. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that money. Yeah, and you have to find like they give you a list of numbers to call, and you have to call them and hope they call you back. So you have to keep contacting EAP when those numbers, like the you know the people, aren't accepting new clients. Yeah, or they don't do you know first responders, or they don't do marriage. So it's it. If you were actually in a life crisis. And how to use EAP? You're sure. you're dead. Yeah. yeah, you're not. It's yeah. not going to be. Sorry, that was a side note. I wasn't trying to. No, that's what I was talking about. I mean, that's just that's. I mean, the 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 help that they offer again quotations right is is laughable. Yeah, and I mean, if somebody was in dire need of something, some some help, they have to put forth all the effort 
I mean, not just one time, not just, you know, saying one time I, I need help. They got it. They have to keep after it over and over again. Oh yeah. And plus those that are right on the edge of, all right, finally I'm going to call. It gives you an excuse to, oh, I tried. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to deal with this help, stupid yeah. shit. Yeah. So it kind of gives you that out. You know what I mean? The yeah. pass, I, I tried, babe. I tried. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can't fix me. I'm broken. And, and going back. I'm not broken. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, none of what you're saying is harsh. I want you to, you know, say how you felt. This well, entire have, point of this is I'm good at me. We have discussed at length uh, most of me being an asshole. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm good with it. I think that people should hear like the stuff, honestly, that, that you that you go through. I think one thing that's really hard. I missed your question. Earlier, you know, you talked about was it harder, you know, easier in the winter. Um, so for us, you go through fire season, right? All of whatever you've added to your life as far as more stress, more incidents that have reminded you of past incidents, or you've taken on new ones, or you've lost more friends, or whatever you went through that summer. Yeah. Now it's fall. Hopefully your prescribed burns don't get loose, whatever, and it rains. And that's like the moment you're like, oh, finally some rain, step away, some snow. Yeah. Then you're like, please rain and soak out. You know, that's like the next feeling. Finally, you get to usually around December. This is out. I mean, some years are different, obviously. You finally start to unwind and you get your time off. And this is where you're really trying to fit in with the family, but you're still, like Rachel said, you still are kind of a newcomer back into the house. Yeah, you got to like reintegrate. Like every day, you're like, what? They go to what what hour? You know, like uh, I have to ask her like every day, like, wait, who goes what class? You know, stuff like that. And it's like, she's like, how do you not remember this? I've been (laughs) in school all year. I'm like, well, yeah, but I've never taken them yet. (laughs) And it's like, school year's halfway done, you know? So you start to, you feel real guilty. You feel like shit about a lot of this. Um, And so the winter starts going and you get, you know, January, February, I think starts getting a little better. And then it starts warming up and you get to spring and then you start getting anxious again and it starts ramping up and you got to get ready for the crew and you get excited. And yet when you're excited, you feel bad because you're like, man, I got to leave again. And as you got older, this was a terrible feeling because once you have kids and you know what your wife's about to have to go through, um, it's it's not a good feeling. And at the same time, you're excited because I liked fires. Yeah, I liked. There's a reason I did that job. That's that's it. I liked to feel like I was doing something special. You know, we all have that need as a human to. Do something fulfilling, right? Yeah, fulfill that sense of purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have that. And at the same time, that, but by wanting to do that, you're taken away from the family at the same time. And the hardest part, well, this is all going on. So at the end of fall, you've either got some money or you've paid off your credit cards. Either or, or the latter, which means you either have a huge credit card bill still and some bank account, either or. But if you paid them off, then this winter, that winter, you will have had to use your credit cards again, and the entire next summer is spent trying to pay that off. It's all it's all cyclical financially because I will stand by. I mean, I didn't realize till recently. Um, I knew that how bad we were hurting. And we don't we don't live like some fancy life, you know. We we've uh, I still drive a two thousand Tundra, you know. We hey, that's a nice truck. Yeah, well, I know I it's an awesome truck. I, my, I took home as like my favorite thing. I know the Tundra's a bigger truck, but but it's still two. You know, it's twenty one years old now. You know, yeah. and uh, not that that's ancient, but we don't have like you know fancy brand new 
stuff. We live in a, you know, a, a, a normal house. We were never able to go on a lot of trips. Um, and every summer I said, man, I want to take some time off. And, and the dudes are like, yeah, how are we going to do it? But the truth is we could never take time off because we couldn't afford to. We couldn't afford to miss a fire check. Yeah. Base aids don't pay the bills, man. No, we, no it doesn't. It yeah. does not. And um, Base pay doesn't cover the bills. It doesn't even cover the bills. And so it really feels like shit when you've done a job this long and you're like, man, I can't. And part of it, you feel, you know, you see other people doing stuff. And some people, we all have our choices, right? With, with uh, our jobs and uh, life and having to have kids is a choice. We had three kids. Yeah. Kids are expensive. They are. And um, <laughs> life, yes, life, life is expensive. So we've made these choices. Um, and it really takes a toll on you and all you, you can't even figure out how you're going to pay the next bill, you know, and you're getting, cre- or, you know, you're getting credit cards that are maxed out and, you know, you raise the limit. All of a sudden you're like, holy shit, how did we get to this point? And then you feel terrible. You're like, you know, your kids want to go to Marine World or, you know, you want to go. We never even been on a honeymoon yet, you know, and you can't afford. You do all this stuff. You talk about the job and everything, but yet you can't actually enjoy life, enjoy life. And I think that's a really big problem um, for everybody, especially when it comes to like the mental health aspect. No, I agree. Um you know, it's always like, oh, money isn't everything. And it's, it's to- you're totally right. It's not everything. Super no, rich not. people look like they're having fun, but it's not a. <laughs> yeah, but they're dead inside. But they're probably dead. <laughs> yes. They're mostly dead inside. I think, you know, and I've heard people talk about this money thing, like all oh, these new age firefighters, you know, they just want to get rich and not go to fires. It's like, That's hey, dumbass. Nobody's talking about getting rich or and making so much money that you can sit at home. It's to have a, earn a living wage, and right now the GS, the pay scale on the foresters, or for all, sorry, all federal firefighters, it's crap. No, it's laughable. It's it absolute is. bullshit. When I look at, I was a GS nine step seven with Sacramento locality pay. That's like thirty two dollars an hour. Okay, so this is twenty five seasons in. Yeah. Now you start looking at other agencies and other non fire like utility type. Uh, managerial type jobs and you're i mean typically in the for these same type jobs in the lower 40s to lower 50s i mean you're you're at least 10 probably 15 dollars off the mark right there and when you look at 15 i mean that's a lot of money right yeah and so it's i can personally tell you um and i know you know i'd like rachel to tell you also like the difference that has made um just in your quality of life alone. Just in the quality of life. You know, we talk about... And mental health. Since we are talking about mental health, you know, I felt it was a good time. So money, yes, money's not everything. But I'll tell you what. When you can pay your bills and you can say, hey, kids, let's go to Reno for the weekend. Yeah. And go sit at the pool for a few days. Go play at the arcade. And go play at the arcades. Yeah. That stuff's nice. And knowing that it actually isn't draining our savings or didn't go on a credit card, that's huge. Yeah. To be able to go, not be stressed about, oh, God, what came in the mail? Is that bill, like, just dreading that one bill? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or something emergency or happened, car, like you blow out a tire. Exactly. Yeah. Car maintenance, uh, doctors, but, you know, like, Kid you know, breaks his excessive arm. copays, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, just, and then knowing that if you're making higher wages and you're putting in, you, you can afford to put a little more in your retirement. Yeah. And then that also adds up faster because, you know, Compound. 12%, 12% of, Higher wage is more money than 12% of a low wage, let's yeah. say. 
I'm not good at math, but <laughs> I was a firefighter for a reason. Dude. Yeah. But there's, you know, right now these conversations are happening and they're talking about, you know, all classification, this and that. And I'll tell you something funny. Uh, in my new job, we were doing our a training day and there's a lot of ex-bed dudes there with me. Yeah. One used to be a hotshot suit and uh, uh, dusted down on horseshoe. We're in the parking lot and everybody's put on like it's a parking lot and they're handing out supplies. And everybody's putting on their safety vests. And I was like, what is this? And uh, me and Dustin are laughing because we just put it on. And he's like, we were basically saying, oh, man, if this was the first person they told me to wear a safety vest in the parking lot, I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> and we'd come up with like a mil- million reasons why not to, you know, like, because it's honestly kind of dumb. But we're like, hey, you pay, you pay us good? I'll wear whatever you want me to wear. Yeah. You can call me whatever you want to call me. And that's the truth. I mean, we... The classification needs to change. It does. It needs to change. But with it, it has to come with a pay change. Because the title, although it matters, nothing's going to change with retention and recruitment for the, unless you change the salary. Yeah. And then with the salary change, you could tie in all the mental health stuff. And you know, I hope that it all comes together, the classification and that. But if you make more money, it's okay if you get called something. Well, you can afford care. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like this exactly. like whole EAP shit, man. It's yeah. like, one, they're going to connect you for, like, say you're going through mental health issues, right? They're going to connect you to this Joe Blow clinician that's not going to have any idea what a wildland firefighter is. So you could spend those first six that are free, first six sessions, yeah. trying to explain what the fuck you do for a living. And then you're just like, tits up, you know, having more benefits left over. Yeah. But now, if you can afford to have this and have the insurance to pay for it or whatever, you pay the copay. Yeah, you can get the person that you want. You can get connected to a culturally competent clinician. That's a mouthful. And then you can also afford to pay for subsequent treatments after your EAP runs out. Right. $50. How does that not equate? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. And if you're doing, let's say, a session a week, which is unheard of, I mean, you're looking at 200 bucks a month. Easy. Yeah. And so, I mean, think about that. If you're fed, that's a lot of money when you're looking at all the other stuff. And is it worth it? For us, it was for sure. But at the same time, like that, if you you do it, it adds up. You know, if you look at that over a year, I mean, it's 2,400 bucks. Yeah. And this is just from the permanent people that are established too. That's probably your perspective. But I think the real tragedy is you're asking, you know, 18 something to 20 something year olds to go out there and risk their life. For in a lot of cases, less than minimum wage in the state that they live in. Oh, yeah. Because now the federal government doesn't have to abide by state minimum wage laws. Right. They can circumvent that because you work for the federal government, mm-hmm. not the state. So, yeah. That, well, there's, what what the, the fuck GS5? are we doing? Is it 13 something an hour? That's a GS3. I think a GS5 is like, what? I'd have to look at it because they just got their 1%. Well, I mean, starting it's, pay at like Chick fil A is $15 an hour, I think. I'm like, yeah. Fucking go get a job in in and out burger. I mean, it's not going to be as fulfilling, in my opinion. Well, no, of course not. But I mean, like along the lines that you're talking about, yeah. trying to get somebody to go out and risk their lives every day to make less than what somebody's paying. Oh, it even gets get better. Too. Like if you were to die in the line of duty, you have to fight tooth and nail oh, yeah. death benefits, well, which we experienced last season. Yeah, I mean that's why there's the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Yep. Yeah, those guys are. I guess the cornerstone of the community, mm-hmm. if you will, because they make up the difference. Oh yeah, they've personally helped. Uh, you know, my old crew, I, close to probably a dozen times, just in my 
time being there, you know? So, um, yeah, absolutely. With, without them, it would be, uh, it'd be, I'm at a loss for the words of what it would be, but it'd be bad. Yeah. How much they have helped all those families. I mean, I don't want to bitch too much about it, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's truly a tragedy when we have to rely on third party organizations in order to provide death benefits yeah. or transportation or, you know, healthcare costs if you got burnt or hurt or injured or anything like that. It's which are up, who are funded by mostly wildland firefighters. Exactly. For their donations. So it's it's like a tax on a tax on a, to yourself. Exactly. It's yeah, it's I, I don't get it, man. You know, some of the other stuff with the pay, you know, that we talk about is with mental health, you you could like I said, I, we cannot take time off because we couldn't afford to do it, right? Yeah. During the summer. It, turn it out in summer. It's like, no. It's a death sentence to your, to your you life. Can. I mean, that's a credit card payoff or whatever you want it to be. Yeah. But the, the big picture is... Um, Sorry, I'm fucking with my camera here. Oh, that's all good. This, that would help, by raising that stuff, would uh, help people be able to take some time off. Mm-hmm. To pick and choose, you know? At least, hey, hey, but you know, let me take a week off in August or whenever you do, you know, do something with the family when they're out of school. Yeah. That was not an option at all. Or even things that are not necessarily a vacation, but like you've said a few different times about being able to go to somebody's wedding or your aunt's, you know, your funerals that you've missed because they're in summertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got firsthand experience at the funeral one. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I missed, uh, probably, I don't know, a lot. Mm-hmm. Missed a lot of funerals and I missed a lot of weddings in the long run. You know, that's a lot of friendships and a lot of uh, experiences that would have been fun. Not just, but not just to go to the wedding, but for us to go do something together. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, there was, it was weird. Just recently we started getting invited back to some weddings, which has been fun. That's good. Some of our younger friends are getting married. Even though we're old, we still get invited to weddings. <laughs> it's obviously the life of the party. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, your transition out of the foresters and into the place you're at now. I'm not gonna name the agency that you're with, but what was that transition like? What, what was what was the standout factors? What was the benefits? What are the cons? What do you got for us on that? So I'm not and let me preface this by like I'm not advocating anybody to leave the foresters or anything like sure. that because it's a great job. I mean, what other job can you go to in the world that you're like, yo? You could basically go camp with 20 of your friends or whatever for two, three weeks at a time in the middle of nowhere, completely untouched by humanity. That's a pretty unique job title. Yeah. And that's how we started off our talk today. It was talking about how odd, you know, like how awesome it is. This job was, you know, and, it, could um, be better. it definitely could be better. There's some things to definitely to fix. Yeah. To be sustainable or it's going to go away. I mean, honestly, um, or it will be it's something that it's, uh, doesn't resemble anything we know, you know, the, the, the type of crews or personnel type stuff. Yeah. Um, so basically for me, like, like we're all, we all have our own lives. We all have our own situations. Um, I got to a point where I, I was having fun with the crew, but almost every situation I was in or getting into would just start bringing back more and more stuff. The mental health. Yeah. And policy. for every single time we did so, it, it, you know, you always talk about escape and safety and basing it on like, you, you know, worst case scenario, worst case, realistic scenario. Yeah. You know, and, and, and whatever fuel type, wherever you're at. And it got to a point where I've, I had seen some really worst case scenarios 
And each year that stuff adds up and gets worse and worse and worse, um, you know, to where, you know, it's affecting your sleep, relationships, friendships, drinking, all that type of stuff. Um, And I found myself being more stressed out and unpleasant. I don't know if that's the right word, but unhappy than happy. Yeah. I found myself having less fun and just being terrified that people are going to die all the time. And when you're in a job, being a superintendent, you can't live like that. No. You're already not getting sleep and you're already um, dealing with everything you have to deal with. And for every time we come in, like I said, I, I was not able to address or I was never able to have the life that I wanted to have with my family. And I look at a lot of these older soups that are dying of heart attacks right when they retire or before they retire or they're getting cancer. You know, what's all what's all that all lead to? Not sleeping, high stress, shitty diet, shitty diet. Well, the, all those boxes like a thousand times plus alcohol. Uh, can't, it just that shit scares me. And so um, the dog here is inescapable. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what she was doing. It's just one of my gray hairs. <laughs> but for me, uh, that's where I was at. And yeah. I love, like, I, when I realized, like, basically everything I'm doing is because I like the crew. I love this stuff. And I had a great group of dudes that were ready. And I care, I care about that program. And I wanted to make sure, I mean, you can make the excuse, oh, the crew, they're not ready. And it's going to fall apart if I'm not there. Well, that excuse was not there because they're all badass. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, that's that's marked off. So, you know, there was this back and forth in my head, like, oh, what about retirement and this and that? And I'm like, man, if I do a few more, like, my kids are in an age where they're still a lot of fun. They're just really getting into sports. I want to be part of their school. I want to help. I want to be a husband and a dad. And I want to do that stuff. And if I wait, Three, four, five more years, they're well, probably not gonna be that fun. And also, they're gonna be out pretty <laughs> the soon. Nasty teenager face. Yeah, dude. I was and, a uh, so. it's, <laughs> and I think it's super important to have the you know, me be involved in this. And it was, and that was one of the things I think one of the things that always ate me up and I was kind of angry about was I was a, like an absentee dad and husband, all that type of stuff, you know. And um, so I weighed, I weighed all of this, you know, the things, um, I, you know, I still not so much now, but on fires, you know, I'd have I would just literally have nightmares of shit that we've been through. You know, the, the specifically, you know, she keeps talking about the burnover, but I, I I would sleep, I would wake up to like burning flesh and you know people screaming type stuff, and yeah. and this job, sorry, that job, you know, when you get in these roles and you you know you actively look for the hard assignments, right, which. I believe you want to get into that stuff, but with it comes the risk that you're going to go through some shit yeah. and you have to make decisions that put people in bad places potentially and things happen. So you have to be able to live with those outcomes. It could be death. It could be life-changing burn scars, you know, people smashed by trees and um, all kinds of things, or you're working next to other people, you know, that, 
have gone through the same type of thing. So you have to go help them when they've been smashed or hurt or burned. Yeah. And then the longer you're in this job, you also know more people, you know, that die or um, die of cancer later on or that type of stuff. So you just, it really, really, really just starts making you think. And when I realized how, I was like fairly confident that I was going to have a heart attack pretty soon. I guess just how it felt. We having panic attacks in the Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like panic attacks, not you know, just just waking up, just just it's it's hard. It was hard. And then um, with that, you know, it's not stuff you want to be like, oh, you know, it's really hard to talk about type stuff. Yeah. So that you don't want to talk about it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's this never-ending cycle of that, though. So in two thousand one, you go through something, and then it, you know, then it, you don't deal with it. And in two thousand three, and then six, and it just it's snowballs. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes this every time, you know, you're in a, a situation where it's like, okay, things are going good. Then all of a sudden this panic attack kind of hits like, oh shit, what's, what terrible things about to happen? Yeah. You're well, like waiting for it. Like yeah. it's, it's too quiet. You're waiting for something. And then these fire, and then these fire environments, you know, that we're really dealing with right now, these burning conditions, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not that far fetched, right? Yeah. So these runs that these fires are making and the, you know, the, the, the shit that's going on. So. Um, it just kind of all added up to a point where I became somebody that I, I don't recognize. I didn't know. I, I don't, uh, approve of. I, um, felt dangerous. Just, uh, just overall from personal life to job to everything. That's funny, you know, cause, uh, most people you talk to probably wouldn't recognize that. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, you know, until the end, you know, it's, you, you know, you're still just trying to lead up. And help, you know, on fires and um, have fun and laugh. But as soon as that moment was done, it was like, thank God everybody's okay. And then the quiet time in your head. And that little bit of quiet time in your head, you just don't get to sleep, you know. And um, that's where I was at. And, man, like I said, I really, really wanted to be better, better part of all of their lives. And I, I think I was joking about this with you earlier, but it couldn't have been a better timing because with all that stuff happening and then COVID came, that probably would have been my absolute breaking point now to run the crew. <laughs> like during the COVID times, like yeah. for reals. Like I, I, it would have not been good. So with all of that, and then I looked at our financial situation, and my wife, a handful of years ago, opened up a business w- with the thought that when it starts doing good, then maybe I could switch jobs, and it was for the family. Yeah. It was trying to help get me out of the situation. And that stuff, the, well, that is currently closed because of COVID, and we're not sure if it's, I think it's probably a done deal. Um, but she did everything for me. And the entire in my entire career, this has been all about me. And I've never had she's never had the chance to be like, you know, what about me? Yeah. And so I felt it important if I'm gonna survive life and also um be part of this family, that I switched. You know, and I think I, it really surprised a lot of people. Um, I talked to my close, you know, the, you know, the dudes on the crew. Yeah. 
Uh, they knew this stuff was coming. And a few of my better friends, other soups, knew it was coming. And they were all really happy. I heard nothing but support. I think there's a few people that were upset. And some people think I um, bailed on the agency and this and that. And, you know, if they can look at it, that's that's fine. That's how they feel about it. You got to do what makes you happy, though. You got to do what's but right. For you. They're not my wife and they're yeah. not it's my like kids. 25 years into the Forest Service. So it's not like. Yeah, it's not like I did five years and then left, yeah. you know. And, yeah. And, and to be honest, I'm going to be real honest here. Um, and then I'll get into the, the other part of this. Um, there was nothing else I wanted to do in the Forest Service. You just want to be a, a hot shot superintendent. And, you know, then I got to, I got voted in to be the hot shot region five chair. Yeah. And those were the things that I, I looked, that's, that was what I wanted to do. That was your peak. That's and where you wanted when I looked at it, a, a district FMO, forest FMO, dealing with all the line officer crap and the four ego maniac four supervisors. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, if you look at the way the forest versus structured, it's stupid. The the fire people work for non-fire people. There's no business in the world that could survive this model. The best way I can describe the way it's led is it's a paramilitary organization ran by business professionals. Good. It doesn't make a fucking lick. No, it's it's terrible sense. And, and so, and then I see these fire chiefs, you know, and they're they're just beat down. They okay. have a hard, thankless job that they actually don't get to make any real decisions because everything really gets made by line officers. So for everything that they do, you know, a line officer can basically shoot it down. And you get to a district FMO and your boss is not a fire chief, it's now a district ranger. Yeah. The forest fire management officer, although tied to, you know, the regional office, they also mostly work directly for the forest supervisor. And it creates this crazy hostile environment. And uh, non-fire there's some good line officers out there. Oh yeah, but there's some terrible ones. And I've had, I've actually had four supervisors tell me when we talk about pay increases that basically, if you don't like it, get another job. And there's no reason a hotshot soup should make more money than me. He takes line officers take all of the risk. We sign all these documents, and all the risk is on us. I said, the worst case thing that happens to you is you get questioned about signing this paper. You don't die. You're not actually exposed to the snags or the fire yeah. or the vehicle rollovers or the can, any of that kind of stuff. So that's the most but, egomaniacal but, shit ever. But, but that is across the board. That's it's very common. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of that attitude out there. And when you want to see why a lot of this stuff dies when we're gaining momentum, it's because of that back door. BS from a lot of those folks. The closed door. They're BS. tied to the regional office, yeah. you know, you know, them and you know, at least in California, the uh, the deputy uh Scardina, he's a great dude. Yeah. And he's very honest and he tries. But those type of people are few and far between. And um it's really I mean, I've had those conversations where people have said that to me. And I remember sitting at one of our forest meetings and our district fire management officer who I Will, he's, he was the old suit before me. One of my best friends. He's an awesome dude. This conversation came up and I won't bore everybody with it. Blah, blah, blah. But the answer that he received was, well, you guys knew what you signed on for when you took the job. It is how it is. And all they were trying to do was like change some things that need to be fixed. Yeah. But the response that you always get is, well, I never got paid for that stuff. So why should you? Or 
that's, this is that's how it's wrong, always been. That's a wrong mentality. This is how it's always been the status quo behavior of the agency, or any agency out there. Because it's all pretty much relative, right? It's all pretty much relative to the same. Yes. It, that that status quo bullshit needs to stop because it is our duty as firefighters is to improve the foundation of our predecessors, right? Yes. You improved upon the predecessor of your dad, the previous superintendent of El Dorado Hotshots, so on and so forth, all down the line, right? That's that whole culture of respect, dignity, and you know, tradition. It's that's that's what you're supposed to do. So why isn't this getting passed up past a certain point in the chain of command? This mentality. Yeah, we pride ourselves off of that, right? Yes. Why doesn't everybody else? You know, so I I sat there, and between all the mental stuff, family stuff, I was really, really waiting for the forceress to win me over, like this glimmer of hope. You know, like a new conversation. Like, yeah, you know what, guys, we should look at changing that. But all it is is call after call after call and white paper that goes nowhere and. This goes to the regional leadership team, which then goes to this, and oh, the board of directors to this, and it's just all bullshit. Yeah. Cert cycle. I mean, and then these poor, the poor soups and the engine captains, everybody, they already have a busy job. They're writing all these papers and all this stuff a lot of times on their own at home. You know, like, oh, hey, babe, I just got to do this one thing tonight. And then it ends up being every night. Yeah. You know, and then, and then now you're, now you're agitated and pissed, and it just adds to more stuff. But I have never seen more people do so much with so little as all the federal firefighters. Yeah. I mean, literally, you do everything to try to change things. And I used to not understand that people were like, I don't give a shit. It is what it is. And I kind of understood it later. I'm like, because they got broken at some point. Yeah. They've done so much. They've tried. They've tried. They want to keep their marriage or they want to keep their kids or whatever. So they just kind of like, work is what it is. Ah, I'm going to leave that alone. Yeah. So I really looked and I'm like, man, but all these conversations kept happening and it's always, uh, oh, but this is coming. Oh, but this is coming. Are you sure about that? Is it, is it actually going to come down the line or what? What's what's going on here? Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked about life and timing, right? Yeah. And uh, I, these, these conversations and through, through your fire career, you meet people and you have contacts and this opportunity came about. And I looked into it, and with everything that has go, been going on, I was like, "Man, this time is is now. These yeah. jobs are going to fill up super fast." Man, I, it's local, and so it it became pretty much a no brainer. When you really, like I said, when you're weighing pros and cons, which is like stuff I do, I make lists. She always laughs, but I make lists. I mean, like, like this. <laughs> so you come prepared, <laughs> but that's how I operate, you know. Yeah. And uh, there was, it was pretty pro, it was all pros, very few cons. Really? Yeah, because I still get to keep, you know, it's not like, hey, uh, you lose your relationships. I still get to talk to everybody. I still get to see everybody. And I'll still see them on fire as I talk to them. And um, then I was like, man, this is, when you really think about it, this is, it was, it was a hard decision, but then it was funny when I actually, Got the uh, call, and I accepted the job. It was probably the best I've ever felt. Was it like a like a just a weight off your chest, or it was? It was yeah. exciting. I I almost instantly felt like a person, not like a hot shot. <laughs> God or, damn, uh, dude, that's heavy. Yeah, but I 
I felt like I'm going to have a real life. I'm going to um, be home. I'm going to be a husband. I want to be all these things that I've never really got to be. Yeah. Now, doesn't mean I'm going to be a good one (laughs) at any of this shit, but I'm getting an opportunity. Yeah. And I also felt very thankful because a lot of people don't get those chances. I felt like is a huge risk. Yes. But it's also high reward for that risk. Meaning I, like I said, I can have a life. Um, and it was, it, I felt just this huge relief. And um, I don't know, how, how did you feel when I took the job? Uh, excited. <laughs> um, I mean, mostly him being home. I mean, I don't know how many years I honestly would pray just to have him. It's weird to have, to be married to somebody and, you know, you spend most of your nights alone. Yeah. You know, it sucks. You you're you get married to have a partner in life, and that, you don't you don't really have that with somebody gone that often. Then um, you know, even this last summer, they, his first year, he was gone some, but it wasn't were, it paled in comparison. Yeah, and he was yeah. local, so then we actually got to go down and hang out with them on the weekends. That's you know, cool. When he had you know just to see him at night or whatever, just like extended staffing patterns or something like that. You go down there. And yeah, hang he out. was in a hotel. <laughs> Which I'm sure he's real excited about not having to sleep in the dirt anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's that cow fire too. <laughs> right? Just kidding. I got nothing but love my cow fire, cow fire bros. But on top of that, I mean, we used to, he only made money during summertime. So whatever money he made during the summer, we had to make it last. And just, just being able to not have that burden or like, you know, I'm able to take the kids. Or the stress. Right. Yeah. So, like, before we go, a lot of times, we our vacations consisted of going to Tahoe for the weekend because that's what we could afford. But we get to Tahoe and... That was pretty dope. We can go out to dinner two nights. Other than that, we got to make some food here. Or, yeah. you know, no, sorry, kids, you can't go play in the arcade because we don't... We can't spend that much money. We don't have... We spend it all in the hotel. So, just having... I don't know. I guess a little bit more freedom. freedom you know, money doesn't make happiness but no but it certainly makes life easier yeah when you don't have that that worry where you know are we going to be able to pay this off or how much how much more debt can we possibly get into it's just it's a huge relief and him not being stressed um us being able to communicate more i mean honestly it's just it's night and day from what it was like when he was working for the forest service um he I, I said this to him before and it's something that really hit home, but um, we would, you know, he would leave on fires and we were always grateful for him to leave. You know, most, most fire wires are going to say the same thing. The first time, you know, we might go out, get your fire check, man, get out of this house. Cause we can't take you right now. Yeah. Or, you know, Oh, there's no fires. We're not gonna make any money. It was, it was all of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but then, you know, we, we miss him. Oh, daddy's coming home. He's going to be here in a couple of days. But then at the same time, just this huge dread of actually having him be home because he was just angry and he was not pleasant to be around, to be quite honest. You guys heard of Minda O's? She's yeah. been a guest on my show mm-hmm. for shit. I think she's like all time top scorer right now. I think she's been on there for three or four times now. But yeah, same verbatim conversation yeah. she discusses in all of her episodes that she's done with me. Right. So. It's I'm, but it's it's just factual. It's just it was it's hard because you know there's a combination of him being stressed, um, of the mental things that he was going through, him coming home and wanting everything to be perfect. Well, no, life's not. I mean, the kids are fighting. They scream. They yell. It's annoying. Beat it's, each other up. Yeah, when you when you're not uh, the few times in my life where I've left my children and gone away, 
And then you're like, oh, I miss them so much. And then you come home and they're like screaming bloody banshees. Like it's, <laughs> it's not, it's like, oh, I missed you. Nope. I really didn't miss you <laughs> that much because it's back to fighting. And that's hard to get used to, especially for him when you've gone for so long and they come back and then have to be used to going, stepping in from, I think for a position for him where he's, you know, he's the soup, he's in charge, you know, what, what he says goes for the most part. And then when you're at home, that's not, the that's case. not the case at all. Yeah. So this, this transition into this new job that he has had, has just been so life-changing for us. It's, it's amazing. Um, again, I'm super proud of everything that he's done and who he was and for service and everything like that. And I wouldn't, trade it i wouldn't change it but i'm i'm happy it's done yeah i really am well that's the thing though it's like this whole transition into your new job it's not supposed to be like the comparison right the comparison portion of, of the forest service to where you're at now it's not meant to be like a, a, a say like yeah you should just buckle up and leave that's no. the the forest service the right. thing, you know? that's the thing it's like you gotta take the opportunities that you have and if you're not happy where you're at then move on Right. You know, but at the same token, a lot of shit can be better with you know the Forest Service or any other federal agency, really. Yeah. And it's all the same. It's 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 the same job description, the same PDs, depending on your position, across all the federal government, but they're not doing the boots on the ground justice because they're not paying us as professionals. Are we not professionals? Is a hotshot superintendent not a skilled professional workforce? That's right. What it's not like you understand. Can- you can't just like walk off the street and become a hotshot. Oh, you <laughs> auger in in a heartbeat. Yeah. But you die. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm well and then also I mean they are skilled and it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's not viewed as such. No, we're glorified landscapers at, right. at the end of the day. It's and, and so with all this, you know, you, you talk about the you know, how to feel, you know, to leave and tra- the transition. Well, the truth is, like I said, I was waiting. It, it was all pros, very few cons. Of, of why I should do this, right? Mm-hmm. And the cons were really, like I said, the dudes. And I'm like, well, I still get to see them and talk to them. So that's not really a con, right? Yeah. And the truth of it is, if you, if the answer is all the time, you know, if you don't like it, just leave. It, to an extent, I guess, they're right. And to a degree, yeah. To, I mean, to the point where I, where I was at, I was like, okay, I have tried everything. And I, I'm somebody that believes in, uh, if you see something... Then try to that's not working. You try to fix it, right? Yeah. And you become part of the solution. That's what I was talking about. Hot shots earlier. Yeah. It, it's the same thing, though. Even in the rest of the force, you know, trying to fix classification and pay and all that stuff. So that was part of what the you know the soups group and the chair stuff was like. This is you got to go down trying. And so one of the worst things for me was actually probably taking the chair position because. It opened my eye when I was not the chair and I was just a superintendent or a hotshot. I always believed that there was people, things were happening behind the scenes. Conversations were happening. Yeah, shit, you did shit was happening, right? Yeah. Then you get to the chair and then you realize how broken the system is and how broken some of those people are. And then there's some good people trying and then there's some shitbag people. And it's just a big cluster. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, damn, this is not. This isn't good. And you put in so much effort trying to make that stuff work. You know, and we've heard over and over again, oh, there's oh, there's stuff. Oh, it's coming out. It's coming out. Oh, things are gonna change. You know, we're hearing that right now, you know. We're hearing in right reach now. five. And I hope God, I hope it's true. I would 
be so, so, so happy. I'd be stoked for all the so, fire family out there. Man. So what I, yeah. what I, what I said to myself was I need to adjust to my new job. So I'm leaving. I'm done. I've decided like it's over. Like I told you when I accepted the job, that was like this moment of clarity in my life. And, uh, truthfully, it took me, I'd fooled myself. I probably thought I had adjusted people were like, how is it? I was like, Oh, it's great. And I was still battling some stuff in my head as far as like going from a super tenant to another job is really difficult. Yeah. Um, not that the work or anything's difficult, but the actual just mental side of things. I had to remember how to be a person kind of. Um, sure. I mean, <laughs> remember it'd be a person that I, that I grunt. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. For real. You know, and uh, I would say, honestly, it took me nine to 10 months Jeez. of. Where all of a sudden I totally re- fully relaxed and now I, uh, I I feel really good and so I told you we just passed the one year mark so really if you think about it it's only been a couple months where I, I was obviously much better right away but um, to truly know that I'm like at peace with the decision and like the everything was probably just a few months ago honestly um, and part of it was because it was a busy fire season you know and you switched over and there's it's it was a weird feeling to not be a hot shot for the summer. Yeah. I mean it was 20 years of my life doing that. Not it's a you know, considerable and I just, portion of your life. Exactly. Man. So yeah. that was a weird feeling. And it just took some adjustment. It wasn't that it was like a, a bad feeling. It was just uh at times probably uneasy. Um, but what has helped me is besides the fact, I mean, the obviously the personal life side of things. Yeah. I still talk to all these, you know, besides the dudes, but like the soups, you know, that I was always close with, you know, I, I'll hit them up and, and talk and stuff like that. And, uh, do they give you shit? Oh, of course, a little bit, <laughs> but at the same time, they're really happy. I mean, yeah. they're like, so, so happy for me. And that's how, you know, you know, they, they, they're good, good people. And, you know, I miss those dudes, but at the same time, like I said, you know, when they come up, when they start doing training and they come to McClellan for the AAR or whatever, I'll still, I get to, guess what? I'm not like banished. Yeah. I don't think. We can. Uh, we'll see after this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I can still drive. You know, go hang out. Go have some beers. Yeah, some go lunch. Yeah, exactly. So, um, did I say the L word out loud? Uh oh. Fire's best kept secret. Not anymore. Um. Yeah, that place will get you in trouble right there. Yep. <laughs> um, but what I what I did say, and I told Rachel I was not going to um go crazy with it. Was I was going to try to help out behind the scenes with. Fire stuff still. Yeah. You know, and specifically um, when I wrote, when I left, I wrote a letter. Yeah, you letter. Yeah. A letter. And it, Dude, that made, some, that made some fucking waves. It did. And it, uh, I got a lot of calls from people, a lot who I've never met or emails and stuff. You know, it was very, it was very humbling. But what I, you know, the biggest, the funniest thing of this is I didn't know what to do. It was weird because I, was leaving the agency and the crew and then COVID happened mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to have uh, mm-hmm. like the separation. Usually I would still get to go to work and we could have like a party and it would be like this closure. And I think that's yeah. probably why it took me this year so long. Cause I, it never really, I never really got to transition. It was like, Hey, you're teleworking because of COVID. And while I was teleworking, I accepted it, you know, this other job. And then I teleworked at that job for a month. And so there was never a full uh, transit, you know, like, hey, a closure. That yeah. makes sense. So 
you know, like uh, I know I, I did do a full retirement, so it's not like a retirement party, but it's kind of like, you know, where you get to get us that, that moment where you're like, you get to see everybody. And t- I haven't got to do that with everybody. Um, you know, it's not too late, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's yeah. and it's not even I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it was kind of uh, that's what made things weird. It's for a lot of these people that are, re, you know, retired in it, you know, high school seniors that get graduations. I mean, yeah, for me, it's not the, get to walk when she graduated from college. So. Exactly. So yeah. it's it's one of those weird things. Um, but what I did get to do was um, that, you know, I was like, how can I reach out to people with kind of a couple final thoughts? And what I really wanted is, I mean, I had written quite a few things. Some of it was like passion, like it was. It was pointy. It was pointy. Oh, yeah. Well, though, my original, I had a lot of other things I wrote. And omitted for final publishing. Yeah. And and it was was more angry and just like. um, But when I really looked at it, I was like, you know what? I loved my job. Yeah. I love, I believe in hot shots. I believe in a lot of this. Why would I? And going out like um, some negative note is pretty weak. It's not who I am. And I've always. I believe in like what I talked about, what a hotshot is, that learning culture. What did I have a hard time with? What can I pass on? Yeah. I believe in that to my core. And so that's where we, you know, put some of that stuff down. Obviously, I had my wife pre-read it before I sent it out because it involved her also. Um, but the funny thing is all the other stuff I wrote, it took forever. Yeah. And it was just, but it didn't feel right. And then I just erased a bunch of shit and I wrote that. And it was, that came off because it was real. It was really fast oh dude it was just as if not more powerful than the uh Michin document the Michin letter yeah and uh yeah. Michin, he's awesome dude he um is. so that's how i think you know something you know it's real it wasn't i didn't have to overthink it i didn't uh rethink you know i just was like hey what do you think does this come off too weird are you okay with me putting this in there but it just flowed and it felt normal so from that though um this summer on a lot of fires, it was insane the amount of people that came up to me about it. They're probably thinking, but too. not just feds. It's insane. Cal, like a lot of Cal Fire folks, local government people, uh, they would seek me out on fires or in can- other places and come talk to me about it. Yeah, and they'd say, "Hey, because of you, I started going counseling," or because of that letter and stuff like that. It was very. It, it was good because we're all in this together, and life is short. I mean, it's precious. We've all been through some terrible things. So it, I was very happy for those people, you know, those people. And I hope that people could just keep kind of, I know it sounds stupid, but paying things forward. Like for them, you know, that, you know, kind of keep passing the word like, Hey, it's okay to be hurting. That stuff's okay. Yeah. What we need is to find a way to handle this stuff. And so that letter opened up a lot of conversations, but it also ended up with, uh, you know, Luke giving me a call. Yeah. And it was kind of weird walking away. Dude, looks awesome, dude. Awesome. You know? And uh, are you supposed to plug Mystery Ranch right now? If you want me to, but now that I put it on the spot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is brought to you by Mystery Ranch. <laughs> now that comes before the show even rolls. So we, uh, so he called me and he's like, "Hey, dude, I want to know first of all if I could, uh, you know, repost this stuff." Is that and where he brought up the Backbone series? Though? Exactly. And this so is, you come be a contributor. Yep, correct. And uh, there's actually some other stuff I told my dude that I never did, so I flaked on him, but, uh, <laughs> which which I can still do, I guess. And uh, um, but that that really helped because it, it gave me 
kind of still that avenue because I'm real passionate. I still want to help, right? I mean, yeah. I told you, 43 years of my life was You've with the forces. Exactly. And so this shit matters to me. So he really opened up that opportunity to be like, hey, dude, I know. And I said, hey, man, I cannot. I got to focus on my family and my new job. I cannot um, be on every, you know, overcommit. Yeah. That's what I did with the Forcers. And that's kind of why I left. So, I mean, to a point, you know. Well, you can only do so much, man. Yes. And so, what I said is, you know, I could offer up, like, helping steer, you know, steer things. Um, you know, if there's things that I know have already been worked on, uh, contacts, people like that, things being passed. Shoot uh, with grassroots. Exactly. Yeah. With grassroots. So, yeah. So, I said, yeah, this sounds real interesting. And so, he really opened up that door to be able to start helping with some stuff. Um, which for me has been, you know, it's a good feeling, although I can't commit, you know, like the rest of that group is awesome. Oh yeah. Or they put it and actually yeah. it blows my mind. And kind of what I was getting at was um through the years of you know being a hot shot soup and all we've always and even previous to that, we've talked about the right route for a national voice. And it's hard because each region has different work schedules. Different fire seasons. Yeah, region three is popping right now. Exactly, yeah. and you know, and region eight burns different. Alaska, you know, it, it, it's it's a federal agency, and we are all together, but we're on such different schedules. Yeah, we're all compartmentalized, but also under the same umbrella. Exactly. Yeah, and so you know, our it, a lot of I'm very hotshot based biased, right? And uh, so it's always like, hey, we need to be twenty. to make sense. And we need to use the, those voices to kind of push forward because it's a lot of people that want to get shit done. Yeah. And so, you know, but as you push things in region five, then it's, you know, nationally, it's like, oh, the region five guys want this or that. And it doesn't always mesh or match what's needed other places because mm-hmm. everybody's very unique. Not everybody wants, you know, certain work schedules and shit, right? So um, you kind of have to work independently. We are always like, man, it'd be so nice to get this voice with various experiences in different places. And this is exactly the grassroots group is exactly what we have pictured. Really? I mean, if you really think about, you know, you have retired people from, you know, the Washington regional offices, you have people that were, you know, a long time, uh, you know, four supervisors, uh, rangers, um, smoke jumpers. I won't knock them for that. Uh, <laughs> but but chief but chief twos hotshot soups engine cap I mean it's all the voices it's cool uh, it, well we should probably backtrack a little bit and explain what the grassroots wildland firefighters are so grassroots wildland firefighters is a political action group I guess you could say I mean, a political advocacy group so we're skipping the bullshit about going through the agency because we've tried that for how many decades many many decades you've been a part of that you've been an active role for that. So we're going straight to Congress, basically. And I don't know if everybody's real clear on this, but I'm a board member. You're an executive board member. We got Luke as an executive board member. We have some other people that we can't tell their name. We can't say their names publicly, uh, per se, right now, uh, except for Reba and uh, Kelly Martin, because they're retired. They have no skin in the game as far as an agency goes. But we do have to protect the identities of the people that are still actively employed and still trying to make advocate and they're trying still trying to advocate for change for the federal government right so all of this shit that we've been talking about previously in the episode right now 
So the pay, the classification, the mental health, the federal fire structure, like a federal fire organization, that is grassroots. And you're connected with it. I'm connected with it. Luke, Mystery Ranch, Luke from Mystery Ranch. Mystery Ranch isn't necessarily connected with it by way of anchor points. It's it's a big community and I don't understand. I don't I don't think that the listeners out there understand the gravity of what's going on behind the scenes. We have a monthly meeting, which I missed last night because I've been working. I worked until like 9.30. When I, when I texted you, like 9.30 last that's night? Pretty, yeah, that's pretty late. <laughs> yeah. So I've been stepping away because the kid didn't work. But uh, yeah, I don't think that the listeners out there... I, I don't know if you guys know the gravity of what's going on with the grassroots wildland firefighters. It's a huge deal. And shit is getting done. We have national attention. We have national media attention. And we have, more importantly, congressional attention. It's fucking powerful, dude. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'd say one correction real quick. I'm a, uh, I'm not part of the board. I'm a technical, I'm not smart enough for that. So I'm a technical. You know, I read their, their document this morning and I just realized you're a technical. I'm advisor. a technical advisor. Which I'm a board member. Yeah, you're a board member. <laughs> you're an advisor. Uh, not that it matters, but uh, yeah. I want to give credit. Semantics. To- I want to give credit to the people that are putting in a lot of, I mean, a lot of work and yeah. I, I'm not able to do a whole lot, but, but the point is uh, when you really look at, we had discussed at length prior to knowing about this group, like what, how do we get this voice? Like, you know, and it, it has, it's going to have to come from outside. Oh yeah. Uh, not meaning it does it can't be current employees, but we have to, that's the only route put pressure from the inside and outside it has to be simultaneous. Yep. It has to be concerted effort. And this is like the idea. I mean, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It's actually the stuff that they get done. I'm so impressed with. I'm blown away, man. And you know what, what I really like um, is, and Rachel knows this when you're on a hot shot crew. So there's 20 people, right? And each year you get a handful of new people. And through all those years, each one of those people has something special, you know, that they, they bring to the to the crew. Yeah. Some valuable. And they have family members, right? That are tied into certain things. But one thing that's very common that you'll always hear, let's say they move careers and they go to local gov or whatever. They always say, you'll see them on fire, they go, man, my you know what my best time of my life was? It was two years on that hot shot crew. Yep. And then you start talking to them and they're like, oh, my aunt's a lawyer, you know, whatever type stuff. And everybody wants to help. And the family members can never grasp like man it's so crazy you guys have done this for so long and you get paid so crappy and, and everything that you guys do for this and they always want to help and this is what this is this is an entire country of current and former firefighters whose families and loved ones and themselves they're all they're all coming together to try to help you know spread the word and come up with ideas for how to get the message out there oh yeah and I think that's the most powerful thing that you could get. I mean, that's, you have to have like a loud voice. You have to have a loud voice, but more importantly, you have to have smart people to be able to direct that voice. Oh yeah. There's, some, they, there's they, some smart people. In that yeah. Some of the shit that they were, and that's what I wanted to say. Like I've definitely, I don't write that stuff is written by, I can't even believe the stuff that these guys pump out, how, how well written and, uh, like our one pager. It's excellent. And yeah. so, uh, I don't know. I feel really proud of that group. Um, so for Luke to offer that to me to be even part of this, I'm really, um, really excited about it. I appreciate it. It makes me feel like, like I said, when I left, that was the weird thing, right? Like, so it's not about however this ends up. As long as some change happens, 
I don't think anybody really cares who gets credit for it. No, we don't give a shit who gets credit. Especially this group. You know, there's other well, there's other people that would, but um <laughs> we all know who those are. Yeah. Um, but the truth of it is it's very ego free. It's people that just want to help. Yeah. And they want to see better for the future because they know if, if it does not change, the those agencies as we know them are done. No, they're, they're gone. That they, they can't literally. they can't compete. We've been trying to say this forever. And finally it took basically a bomb going off and disintegrating all of our uh, staffing to be like, oh, wow, look, we don't have any hot track crews or engines or anything. How many UTFs do we have this year? Exactly. Yeah. So it was easy to ignore. It was just GS5s and 4s, even though what they did understand was that that's your, that's your backbone of the crew and that's your future. Successfully, if you don't have that, you're screwed. Yeah. Then you started getting people... Sevens, eights, nine, you know, like myself, Donovan, people like this that are leaving. And all of a sudden it's it's just, you know, it's all over the place. It's like, you know, checkerboard. It's all the hitters are getting they're exactly getting up and leaving. You know, so when you lose yeah. somebody, when an agency loses somebody, they're not like me, let's say. They didn't just they didn't lose a hot shot to pretend what they lost was their burn boss too, you know, their you know, cadre, yeah. duty officer, you know, coverage stuff. Um, all of the, yes, all of the training that you've put in and paid for just went to another agency. So all of those years. And so all those, all that money invested. Exactly. You're on my money. We pay taxes, right? Well, everybody in this room pays taxes. This is your and my money. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's pretty mind blowing when you see who's, who's leaving right now. Oh yeah. And And it's all the high up. And we all say it's, that's what it takes, right? To affect it. Like you have to have it be noticed. And at some point, they could keep saying like, oh, it's, oh, whatever. Well, the old school mentality was like, oh, yeah, there's a million people behind you asking for the same job. Exactly. And that's not, not true. Anymore. No. Not no more. We had, what, 890 unfilled positions last year in Region 5? Something like that. I think it's going to be much worse here pretty quick. Yeah. So. Actually, Cal Fire, I think, is going to surpass the United States Forest Service as far as total employees. Employees, yeah. From fire. Fire-specific yep. employees this year. Yep, I believe it. And. uh Someone will correct me if I'm wrong there. Might have misspoken, but whatever. Either way, it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the big picture, this this group, I think it's very, very important that the voices to Congress and uh, the all of the stuff that we need, who we need to reach, that it comes from firefighters, current, especially current, and recently X, and not just um, people that have never done this job. Oh, yeah. The voice that needs to be talking to them needs to be people that actually understand what they're saying. Yes. And so I think that's where this really um, is unique, the, the yeah. reach that it has. So I think um, I'm very hopeful that, you know, from the inside, I've been hearing quite a few, hopefully positive things, especially in Region 5, that has to happen or else they're, I mean, it's, it's done. Yeah. They're, I mean, they'll have a handful of crews fully staffed, but they're going to lose a lot of people if they don't change. Well, you have to keep minimum staffing numbers too, or else you lose your status. Exactly. So if they don't make this change this summer and redefine their, it's end game pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And last year we had a one point, was it 1.1 or 1.2 million acre fire? Yes. Yeah. The first giga fire. (laughs) Well, maybe not the first, but I'm sure it's happened before, but still in recent history. Yeah. That doesn't sound as cool as you would think. A gigafire. A gigafire. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of land, man. I just think we can come up with a better name, too, for something that destructive. <laughs> a mega, it could be something cooler. We'll have a kid's name with something better. There we go. 
But yeah, man, that's the whole thing too. That's cool about the grassroots effort is uh, the grassroots wildlife firefighters effort is that it's got bipartisan support. So it's got Republicans and Democrats in it. So it's not a partisan issue. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, left coast, it's all, you know, all blue states. And this doesn't affect me. But no, it actually affects a lot of other states that are red too. So that's a cool thing too. Is you know, like states like Utah, we've got support from them. We got states from Idaho. We got support from Washington, California, all these other places. And it's it's truly a unique and truly grassroots effort. And it's coming from the boots on the ground. And that is fucking impressive, man. It's awesome. And the truth is, those other states should be concerned or, or really consider what Cal Fire is doing right now, uh, offering, because for every federal firefighter that leaves to go to them, that's less federal firefighters to staff to go to those other states to help them when it's busy. Oh, yeah. You know, when you get to PL four and five, if, if, if you can barely cover your own forest, you're not going to send people to Utah or right. Colorado. So. That this this affects the entire too. exactly, and this this entire thing affects everybody. So it's uh, that stuff should you know if you think about it. Like I said, we're all in this together. Oh yeah, and uh, I, actually the stuff that Cal Fire has written up right now, uh, the stuff that they're doing is amazing. They're being proactive, and their actual staffing and salary. It's it's exactly how we should model stuff. I mean, it's I think they're doing an outstanding job for that stuff. You yeah. almost take their stuff and do it for the federal stuff. Just call, it. And say, <laughs> call it a day. All right, here we go. You got to Obviously, there's just more to it than that. But yeah, I mean, simple sakes, at least read the files. It's at least something to model off of, you know? Well, Don't they also have more public support? I mean, they, they are have better PR. Well, yeah, I know something as a hotshot wife. Every time there would be like, you know, a local fire come on and people talk about, oh, Cal Fire, Cal Fire is on there. I'm like, uh, yeah, and so are your local hotshots. You know, you know, they have no idea who they are. No one knows. They don't know what they do, and they also are like, "Oh, they get paid so well." I'm like, "No, they don't." Uh, <laughs> no, Cal Fire does. <laughs> yeah, Cal Fire. Well, no, Cal Fire doesn't get paid well. Let's cut it there. They don't. They don't make a shit ton of money. They have an opportunity if they get the overtime to make a shit ton of right. money, but they get paid. They get compensated fairly for the job that they do. Right. Yes. Here. Exactly. I just leave it at that. I was. Just, that was just a joke that we always talk about. Was you know the. Um, what kind of firefighter? What color is your truck? That's how how you get paid. It's much better if you're not in the green trucks. <laughs> if you're in one of the city ones, right? There's a lot of truth in that, though. I mean, that's they're actually classified as professionals. They have an expanded scope in some regard. They have you know medical response duties. They have they're they're truly all risk. Absolutely. But also, a lot of stations in Region Five are all risk as well, but they're not on paper. Yeah, I know the Angeles runs medicals. Yeah. They also, those, again, a lot of people don't know what, um, you know, a lot of the force firefighters do. They don't, they don't know that they exist, to be quite honest. There's no publicity for it. You, you had asked this question earlier about what, what it is to be a hotshot or, and I, there was this one time I was, I had inter, I, I met somebody and they, um, that they had asked me what my husband do. And I was like, oh, he's a hotshot. And they're like, they're like, oh, that's so cool that you think of your husband that way. <laughs> like, that I was paying him a compliment. He's just a hotshot, like you know, he's some sort of badass, and that's what it is. And like, no, yeah, and then I have to explain exactly. to him what what they do, or you know, gets obviously a lot of people think hotshots and are smoke jumpers. Everybody does, or cow fire, right? Yeah, and, and I get the people be like, "Oh, you're a hotshot! Oh, it's cool. My cousin did that. Oh, he worked on uh, whatever crew." And I'm like, "Yeah, that crew doesn't exist." 
Because <laughs> yeah. everybody thinks anybody that has ever worked on a hand crew or in the force race was on a hotshot crew. Yeah. So there's the other side of that too, where it's just like oh, every everybody was hotshot. It's like, and I think that's another thing too. That there's a lot to be said about that too, because I've had the same interactions with the public, and it's like, no, we, the public doesn't know what a wildland firefighter in any scope does. They automatically think it's cow fire or smoke jumper. There's really no in between. Right? Yeah. There's engines, there's hand crews, there's fields crews, there's hell attack, there's hot shots, there's whatever and in between. And we don't do a good job as an agency of explaining what our mission is. And no one knows anything about us. We disappear off into the woods for two weeks at a time, smoke goes away. Oh, cool. Fire's done. Forgotten. Yeah, it seems like the only people that actually know are the ones who, like, you know, they lost their home or their community, and they're like, yep. then then they know who you are. Yep. Which is unfortunate, but... That's why, like, a good thing is, like, that Vice uh, reporter that was coming around to your yeah. crew and uh, following you guys around for a while. That's powerful for our community. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was... First of all, it was weird. The first time. Cameras come out, I disappear. Uh, <laughs> it's real weird, too, because, you know, culturally, it's like, you know, don't be seen. You know, yeah. that was the thing. Like, don't be on the news. If you do, it's, you know, you'll oh, yeah, we're it, whatever. And, uh, yeah. We did ourselves a big disservice in that aspect. Mm-hmm. But it was really weird uh, having these dudes show up. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're doing like a little burn. And their uh, other crews are like, whoa, what the hell is going on? Dudes with cameras falling. And because these other guys are like trained, like, hey, we got to hide or don't talk to this dude. So I had to gather them all up and say, hey, this is why we're doing it. We're trying to promote hot shots. We're, we're just really just trying to educate people about what we do. Yeah. And then what just by explaining it, it totally changed the attitude. And everybody's like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, the weirdest moment was probably the first night they came into fire camp with us. And you're in a long dinner line and this dude's walking around filming and you can see people like, what the hell? Just tell them not to touch the handrail. So yeah. <laughs> or any of the any of the salt shakers or um salad tongs yeah anything really don't, 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 don't. but i had to walk around I, I spent a lot of time walking around each crew or module and saying hey so you know this is going on and they're and they're relaxed they're like that's cool no that's cool man at least but, you had support and you had but it was weird it was a weird transition yeah um to have that ha- you know have that happen and i was i was stoked they got to come do that again this year with those guys so it was good to see that no that documentary is pretty good man i mean what is it like 30 minutes long or something like that's the full version of it not like the tv version yeah i think yeah. yeah i think the first one he did was 15 for us a few years ago and then this last year was something like that close to half hour yeah, yeah. no it's good stuff man and that stuff is powerful it's it's good for spend, uh, spreading the message of what we do like i'm saying that whole publicity thing agency's not gonna not gonna do it so we have to rely on outside sources right. to do it well like yeah you get the public support and then i think i'm be very helpful when you're trying to make changes especially if you want people to understand what we do mm-hmm. and actually support it like you're saying yeah this is like you have no the intent behind it and like what these people do and the purpose of it in order to garner support exactly yeah man that's crazy though speaking of publicity too uh you wrote a pretty good article for the backbone series let's talk about that man so the only article that i did uh for backbone was the one that Luke took was my le- was the letter actually. Yeah. So that's the only one that I did for Backbone so far. He asked me, and that's what I said, where I've totally flaked on. <laughs> to basically, uh, and I'm I'm still going to do it. I promise, Luke. Um, was to pretty much write like, uh, you know, what would what would my eighteen year old what would I tell my eighteen year old self? 
going to school. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's actually really interesting. And I have a lot, a lot of things to say. So actually I, I look forward to writing that, but yeah, as far as the backbone series, I've read a lot of those, but the, uh, the one that he ended, that was what he ended up calling and asking if he could use was the actual letter. The actual letter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my contribution so far. So far. So far. Yes. So we're going to see you again. You got it. Good. I promise. Yeah, man. That backroad series is pretty cool, man. And they're doing a good service for the boots on the ground, too. That's like another thing, too. It's like Luke, Mystery Ranch, Grassroots, all of this stuff is like inter- interconnected. Oh, yeah. Fire community is small, man. And like, we're trying to support each other. Like, so for everybody who's listening, if you guys want to submit a story to the backbone series, <coughs> excuse me, look, Corey's coming up. Go over there to www.mysterymanage.com and check out the Backbone series because you can submit a, uh, an article and if you're selected, you get an opportunity to win a $1,000 grant. You didn't take the money. No. Yeah. So neither did Reva either. She said that. She's like, no, nah, I don't want this. I just want to contribute. So optional. If you guys want to be you know, one of those people that doesn't need the education grant, the $1,000 grant, by all means, go ahead and do that. But if you guys have a good, powerful story like Hump over here, Definitely go over there and contribute it. Yeah, man. So what else you got for us? You know, not a whole lot. I, uh, you know, I, I guess I will kind of top it off with, like I said, I, I, uh, it was an honor and everything that I've got, that I got to do in the forest service, you know, um, I had a blast. There's so many things that, you know, we need to continue to work on and push to make things better for the future. And so that people don't have the same struggles that uh, a lot of us have gone through. Um, I think, I know Rachel feels the same way, you know, we care very deeply for, you know, the, the, the people working, their wives, husbands, kids, you know, all them, this is, you know, it's the long game of life. And- um, Chest not checking the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, you know, I, I was, I'm so happy that I got to do what I did yeah. and I, you know, I don't ever want to come off as some whiner. Um, oh, you know, fuck the forest wristers that, you know, I, we all have our moments, of it's, course. It's a great job, dude. But it, it was, it was, it's it just, there's things that need to change or it's, it's, it's going to be done as far as having a, a fire or forestry technician part of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and the, it might not be done, but it's, you're not going to have quality people left. You know, you, 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 you got really good people, um, you know, they're spread out, but they're becoming less. And more few and far between. More few, yes. And, the, and, you know, we talk about strength in numbers, and um, it's really hard when you don't have, a, it's kind of like sports. If you only have one or two all-stars, you know, here or there, it's really hard to succeed. You need to have them lined up all throughout. Yeah. And so when you start losing all your partners... Um, it's, it's really, it's really hard to kind of keep that, uh, you know, positivity and stuff going forward, you know, in the, in the, you know, locally region five, you know, the hotshot, the chair, co-chair, you know, nationally, those guys, they're all great people and they've been around a long time. And I have a lot of, uh, optimism and faith towards them. They're great people, but I know they're, you know, they need some help. They all need some help. So that's where I, I you know, I keep talking about this outside push. We just. Regardless um, how you see some of us as leaving, you know, we did it for our families. Um, I have no regrets about that. Yeah. None. I'm never going to fault anybody for leaving an agency and doing something better for themselves, man. Never. No. And I, uh, like I said, I would just like to, you know, bring to light that, um, 
having struggles, it's okay. It's, it, it, it is. You just need to be able to find a way to talk about it or, or, or deal with it. Um, what we can't do is you don't want to repeat like all the rest of us that have gone through things and then you kind of bury it and then you get hit by another one. And it just, like I told you, it builds up and then it takes over your entire life. It turns you into something you don't want to be. And then you end up faking a lot. Um, it's weird. You know, you, you look at uh, even a lot of comedians, you, you use comedy as uh, therapy, right? Yeah, like a coping mechanism. But you see how many of them are really unhappy, right? Oh, yeah. Um, like Bert Kirshner is a miserable son of a bitch, but he's funny as hell. Yeah. You know, yeah. Robin Williams, you know, look at this Same stuff. Thing. But what I'm getting at is, you know, for people that like my, that have known me, you know, they're always like, man, you're so funny and you have so much fun. And it's like some of this, you know, so it's just how you cope. Yeah. You know, you're trying to be positive and on the inside, you know, like I said, it's just quiet time. So I just hope that people understand that it's okay. And the, the agency and other ways, we need to find ways to switch that shit. So there's a better system in place to talk about this stuff. Oh, absolutely. And um, although to this you know day, I still have a drink here, you know, here and there for relaxation. I don't now use it to cope with shit. Yeah. It's not a medication, a well, self-medication. Exactly. Yeah. Like it was. I mean, that's straight up what it was. It's like, oh, God, I can't wait to get home to get drunk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I need a beer so bad. Now it's like. Oh, you know, I just had a glass of whiskey. I'm yeah. sorry. Apple juice. Yeah. YouTube friendly. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't so, want it anymore. Yeah. So, Exactly. So it's, it's, it's more of like a, you know, like a, a relaxation on a coping deal. So, yeah. you know, one thing that was funny, you know, I didn't mention, um, I forgot somebody had asked me a while ago why I haven't gone to any funerals lately. Not the family ones we're talking about missing, but fire, you know, line of duty deaths and or uh, people from the force service or fire service that have died yeah. outside of work. And I actually still haven't gone to one, even though I lost some really good friends, because I can't I can't deal with it. Um, I can't actually go because every time. So we were, at, you know, our crew was there at Darnell, and we got there the morning after, but we were involved in the memorial and a lot of the the funerals. And I remember some of the kids, you know, hugging their moms, and that I could just picture it in my head. And every day. It just, it brought home, like, that could be my wife and kids. Yeah. And all of those, I, I love all those people, you know, those were my friends that have passed away. And if I didn't know them, then, I, you know, I, out of respect, I feel like I should be going. Yeah. That's what we do, right? Yeah, but we're I, a team, right? We always show up. Yeah. But I, I literally have not been able to attend any of these since Yarnell. And I always make an excuse, like, oh, I can't. I can't go because of this or that. But the truth is I get super anxious and I can't, um, I just can't do it. Can't handle it. I can't handle it. You know, yeah. up to that point, they were, I went to a lot up to that point, you know, um, and they're all really, they're all really, I mean, they're so difficult, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't been able, I just, it hasn't been it. And, uh, I think I'm probably at the point where I could do it again because I've switched jobs. I don't, I, maybe I don't picture myself. Being that, you know, I've removed myself from that a little bit, but there's, I mean, healed a little bit, but for every funeral, you know, for every funeral we go to, to all these things, you know, you take on some of that stuff also. And I was just not in a place where I could take on anymore. 
you know, you're talking about the cup being full. It was the cup was smashed and all over the place. All over the place. So yeah, that's um, understandable, man. Yeah. So you know that that was, and the Forest Ridge has done you know the, the CISM, the Critical Incident Stress Management Program. Yeah. Now to help uh, launch that, pretty much. Yeah. It, and it's great, you know. And I went to the class, and Nelda has done an excellent job with this. Mm-hmm. But for myself, I went to the class and then they said, Oh, you would be great, you know, to help out. And I was like, I can't do this. I literally I literally sat through this class and realized how fucked up I still was. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way I could go take on other people's stuff. And it's like, this is what we do. You know, we continue to take on. I I had not got to a point where I had really healed any of the shit I had been through. And um, I just realized I can't take on any more of this stuff, you know? And so I just, I really hope people realize like, um, you got to take care of yourself. There's so many things that we get asked to do, um, that you, you might not be in the right place to do it. So it's probably not the right thing to take on when you're in that situation. Exa- exactly. Yeah. You know, just do more harm than good. Yeah. And, uh, do you, yourself and others. And they, they talked about that very specifically at the class, you know, but that was something else, you know, that I just wanted to get out. Um, we, as a community, try to help each other so much. And a lot of times we forget what it does to ourselves. Yeah. So just really pay attention to yourself and realize, like I said, everything that you take on has some sort of reaction. And you can't put anything in your body or take out anything out of your body without, you know, some sort of caveat to that, you know, you can't put anything in without taking something out and you can't take out anything without putting something back in. Yeah. And you might not even understand it at the moment, but somewhere down the line, it's like, boom, you know, it's just one more thing that just filled you up. Um, but, you know, other than that, like I said, um, there, there's good things going on. And uh, we're on a precipice of change, man. It's it's there. It's going to happen. I think it's going to. And I just hope everybody can kind of keep this momentum, positivity and everything, even though it's going to get busy as shit in fire season. Yeah. But we just got to keep kind of pressing towards uh change whatever that looks like gonna embrace the suck right <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude for sure no no change is on the horizon man but that's the thing is like we've got to take care of ourselves and we got to hold on and it, it'll happen it'll happen we got to take care of each other we got to take care of ourselves but yeah we just gotta keep fighting the good fight man and for everybody that's out there on the you know currently i mean just enjoy like I said, you you take. I think once once you've been doing fire for a while, you take it for granted. Oh, absolutely. When you first start, you're you know you're like a kid first playing sports or Christmas. You know you're like real excited and everything new, and you kind of I don't want to say you get jaded, but you definitely. Uh, I think you definitely take a lot of stuff for granted. So one of the coolest things for me was my last season. I had already talked to them, the crew about it being most likely my last season. Yeah, depending. I, I had to get my EMT for this new job. So I had to um, do that. And then obviously interview, you know, take get a job. Exactly. Yeah. But the, but the intentions was that was going to be the last season. And that really gave me being able to tell those dudes that it really gave me an appreciation that summer for the job. And I was really grateful that I got to those dudes supported me. And um, I got to kind of look at it through those eyes, like, Hey, this could be my last burn operation. This could be the last, you know, all that type of stuff. Want to make it count. And so we and we yeah. went to uh I mean shit, we went to 
like Alaska, Colorado. We went all over the place. The Ruby Mountains in Nevada. Finishing fire season, huh? Went to SoCal. It was a bit like, yeah, you couldn't have drawn up a better last season. Oh. You know, that we ended up on some Cal Fire incidents in the fall, doing some cool burns, seeing some crazy fire. And then just knowing like, cool. Thinking that was it. And like I said, I didn't know for sure until I got the actual job offer. Yeah. And I'm fairly medically stupid, so uh, I still had to pass EMT, which I did. <laughs> Just remember BSIC too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And with everything we'd been on, you know, we had we had been through a lot of injuries and traumatic incidents, and uh, it's it's funny because out there you just you have so many people you rely on that really take over, and so I've always been able to run the scene, but it, it kind of switched gears to where I had to learn. Really put the appreciation for what those dudes did um, as EMTs to help keep people alive, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. On fires in the middle of nowhere. I mean, austere medicine is no joke, man. It's, no, it's crazy. It's crazy shit. It's, yeah, I really, really appreciate that stuff. It's cool. I'm always fascinated by it, man. I just love that shit. I eat it up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, actually, now I'm in the medical field, so I'm kind of applying those skills to what I do now. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. But the, uh, that was that was a really good thing for me though to be like okay, this is this is it and I got it had been a long time in my in my job since I had actually enjoyed it like to that extent you know what I mean yeah before it was like it was it was there was great times but it was uh, you look at it differently I think at the beginning and end when you know when you know it's like the in between end. time I think you take a lot of shit for granted yeah. But when you know, like, okay, it's kind of like uh, if you, I, I'm assuming, like, if you're planning to retire, this is gonna be my last season. All right, let's enjoy it. You know what I mean? And the, and, and the let's, dudes let's really fucking party. <laughs> and, and they took care of my old dad. You know, they 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 made sure I had fun. You know, as yeah. far as like, hey, you want to do this and this and and it so was cool. Hand you the very, the very pistol. <laughs> yeah, do some burning. I'm I'm good for at least a little bit here and there. <laughs> well, you also got to kind of work through some stuff before that too. What's that? Like your mental stuff yes. before that last season. So I think that that's good. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, honestly, probably the most helpful, the most helpful thing for me besides uh, us doing some counseling was just us, I would say, talking. Yeah. As far as a lot of that stuff goes. Um, sorry, my neck hurts now from <laughs> looking this way. <laughs> Mine too. You ruined Tired. my neck. Thanks. Don't sue me. <laughs> if it's money you want, I ain't got it. <laughs> but uh, she, she definitely, uh, she's absolutely correct. You know, um, for once we were actually talking, and um, it, I don't, it had been forever probably since we actually communicated like we did that summer. The shit's all good now. Yeah, that's good though. I mean, you went out a champion, basically. Well, I would say uh, I don't know about champion, but I would say. It was fun. You went out on top. How about that? <laughs> okay, you know what? I'll take it. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to force that one on you. <laughs> I'll take it, man. But uh, like I said, we beat we beat that code time frame. I I, I would have lost my shit having to take the crew across the country with that. With all the COVID precautions. Yes, yeah, this was perfect. So I'm so glad that I got out of the game in that 2019. End of 2019 was my last season. So and yeah. I, I sure shit miss it, dude. I missed the shit out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, one one important thing, I know I keep dragging this on, but, you know, she brought up a really good point. When you get, when you get, uh, you know, to be a captain or a soup or any of those levels, you, you, 
always talk about taking care of yourself and you talk about taking care of your family, but you don't really have that much opportunity to do it yourself. No, when you preach it, you become like a hypocrite about it. Exactly. You preach it and you talk about it and you firmly believe in it, but at the same time, you don't practice it because you spend so much time helping, you know, your captains and their Fan, all, you know, they have this going on and then this, you know, these people have this going on and all this stuff. There's always something going on. And, um, I think the biggest thing is just being honest. And if you have shit going on, you need to talk to your cat, you know, maybe not the entire crew. Um, but whatever you feel appropriate, maybe you're over Put whoever's your dude, you know, or your friend, whatever it is yeah. to talk to them. The person um, you can confide in. And, yes. Yeah. Especially, you know, Besides the honest conversations with your wife, um, just making sure you keep them in the loop. You know, the especially captain, squad boss, that type of stuff. The overhead, just say, "Hey, I'm going through some stuff right now. I need you guys to help support me." As far as uh, you know, if I'm missing some stuff here or there, or I feel it seem a little checked out, just keep me make, make sure I'm yeah, keep me in check. Make sure I'm not missing some shit. Yeah, because I don't care what they say. You know about leave work. You know, leave home and home. That's that's bullshit. It, it it'll never happen. Yeah, we're all human. But I mean, there's moments when shit's going on. There's and you're you're tuned in. It is what it is. But when it ends, boom, then you're back. That's what I was talking about. Those quiet moments at night when you're up, when you're in your own head, you know. Yeah, type stuff. So I think for sure that's one of the things that helped me be successful my last summer was having a honest conversation with those dudes, you know, about it being in, but also like I need some help with the shit, you know, and they respect you and they supported you too. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent, you know, and then that's, you know, then that's you, that fire family. Dude. And then you talk to bit, you know, and then you come to find out it's the same stories over and over, you know, Ben, Mondo, yeah, all he's just throwing a, yeah, a name out there. It's been on the show and they also see, say, said the same thing. And you know, what's weird though. It's like, I think I was for a while there, I was saying that it was like confirmation bias on my own because everybody started bringing up the same exact issues, but I never cued them once. Like yeah. I never like, brought up the topic is always brought up by the guest, which is wildly telling about the fucking problems that we have out there. And oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that like I said, that was uh it was pretty awesome. It's good, man. It's good. But we're uh I would say in probably the best place that we have been. That's good. Currently. For sure. I would just want to say the only other thing I wanted to say was, uh, um, you know, if, if we were to stay in a forest service, I think the three things that I think would, would make it to where uh, as, as happy and content as we are now in his new his position is just, you know, a thousand, thousand hour fire seasons is a lot. So yeah. if, if that could have, you know, if, Part of that is going back to the money because, of course, we can't turn down a fire check when you're when you're living with those, that pay. So if if there was a little bit more in between time for like you know there are in our days, two, two weeks gone, two days home, and over you know just back to back, back to back is n- is not enough. That's not enough to have a family life, and it's not enough. I don't think for for the person, the firefighter being gone, that they, they need to actually decompress and like have. The time to come down, they talk about what happened, what, you know, do something for themselves. Yeah. And because I, I mean, I loved when he was, I'm super, super proud of 
him when, when he was a hotshot. I still am. I'm proud of him no matter what. But, you know, just that life and having that fire family. All my friends are, you know, hotshots hot <laughs> or wives of hotshots. Like, that's just, that's our life. And yeah. I'm, uh, it it's sucks. Family. It's like a black hole. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I just, you know, if, if there was a little bit more, th- those kind of improvements, I think, would go far for future people, you know, for them staying in the agency for longer. Yeah, the longevity would definitely increase. Yeah. That's for sure. That would make that would make our life better, you know, from being in perspective of uh, the one that's at home. So that's all. Yeah. Should these change, and you know, folks like you guys are definitely at the the uh, forefront of that change. So I definitely appreciate you guys being here. It's awesome to get your perspective and what it's like to be a hotshot superintendent. And it's even cooler to get your perspective as a hotshot wife. Yeah. This is first. This is a first. So this is groundbreaking. Pioneers. <laughs> Pioneers here. So at the end of the episode, man, I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to give a shout out to a homie, heroes, mentors, whoever you got, take it away. Good. Uh, you mean a specific person? Maybe several people. It could be whoever you want. Um, well, this... So throughout the years, there's always been, I would say, I'm just going to talk about the wives because, you know, we, we supported each other. Um, there have been, I mean, through all the fire season. So, I mean, I guess we'll say I'm going to, I'm going to start with Janelle Harris. She was, she was my first buddy. We known her since I was 18 before I met Aaron and we both married hotshots on the same crew. So she's married to Will Harris. Um, and then my best friend now, who's Mondo's wife, Ceci. Um, and then just, you know, I guess just Lindsay. I love Lindsay. And um, what else am I forgetting? Oh, there's too many. Just, I, I, and then the families. I mean, there's always been um, like uh, Aaron's old soup. His wife, Christy. She, she always helped me a lot of times. And his family, his mom and his dad. Because my family doesn't live around here, so just that support. So that's who I have. For me, I'll leave it more general. Um, for sure, hundred percent looking at like my parents, um, and then absolutely like I've told you, my wife and kids. For well, they're still here. Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's rough, man. It's a rough. Family it is, and then everyone. I mean, the list. You know, twenty years of being a hot shot, and. Previous, you know, engine stuff for the other five was uh, you meet so many people that mean so much to you. Um, you learn from the good and the bad in people, and um, which I the list is so long, but the uh, pretty much people know who they are. Um, I, I feel like if I started putting a couple names in there, I'd leave some others out, and then. <laughs> I feel like shit. Somebody be like, "What the fuck, man?" What yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the lit, like they, I, for, there's all, all of them. You know, I'm so appreciative of of uh, a lot of the former and current um, hot shots, and then you know some people in various fire fire areas. Um, I will 100 percent though say, you know, my former superintendents that I came after, Mike Beckett and. Uh, Will Harris definitely um, helped mold me and keep me on the right path. And, you know, I appreciate everything they've ever uh, just being part of my life. And then for the uh, 
you know, with that, all of the families and wives of everybody that's ever come through. Oh, yeah. I feel there's some people, you know, specifically that life changing and altering events um, from injuries or, uh, you know, events on the crew. And, you know, they'll forever be in my heart. And I think about those people every day. So, you know, I, like I talked about earlier, you know, this job, the longer you're in it, uh, things get difficult, but those people will never, they will always be, uh, people I think about, um, as far as everything else, um, I also got to give a shot off my kids because they're resilient. My kids are like resilient little people, you know, and, uh, I could, one thing we didn't talk about was I could see the change in mm. them since I've been home. And uh, stoked, huh? yeah, and uh, specifically uh, our middle child, mm-hmm. he used to be severe anger issues and stuff like that. And he was anxious when I was gone. And he is so calm now. And yeah, uh, he went sweet. Yeah. So big shot off my kids for putting out with, put, you know, putting up with me being gone. You know, and this is what this whole change was about. So, and uh, also all the grassroots folks, and of course you for hosting this. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So, I think that's it. <laughs> right on, man. Well, Aaron, Rachel, the humps. Is, that, like, is it just the humps? That's like, most of the time when I say Aaron, nobody knows who I'm talking about. They're like, who? I'm like, hump. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show, and definitely thank you for coming by my place. And yeah, maybe we'll get some beers later. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That was our episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. is in the books with Aaron Humphrey and Rachel Humphrey. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been waiting for this for a hell of a long time, and I'm glad to see you and finally meet you guys. It was uh, definitely a cool episode, and we uh, discussed in depth uh, what it was like back in the day uh, with seeing the uh, from the outside looking in uh, to your mother and father's perspective, and also your personal experience and how much you've seen it change over the years while you're with the Forest Service. It's pretty... Uh, pretty impressive man but just once again thank you for uh coming by and sharing your professional insight and sharing that knowledge it's pretty cool man thank you so much as for the rest of you i hope everybody is doing well and i hope everybody is well prepared for this fire season and uh yeah go forth conquer go get some oh yeah i'm gonna drop a little bit of a uh little teaser here we might have exclusive merch coming out here soon uh yeah i'll uh, be posting some teasers uh here soon but you'll be seeing that coming down the line shortly as for our sponsors special shout out for our sponsors we got mystery ranch purveyors of the finest packs i'm in the fire game it's pretty badass we also have hotshot brewery they make kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause and they help support that wildland firefighter culture by slinging some awesome merch so go to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out we also got the ass movement I don't know about you guys, but like I said, I hate seeing turds on public lands, especially human ones. So clean that shit up and bury it. Go over to www.firewild.com and check out the ass movement for more info and all of your poop burying propaganda needs. And last but not least, guys, girls, get out there and help support the grassroots wildland firefighters. It is an epic, epic organization and it's truly grassroots. It's 100% volunteer and nobody's paid 
and we're doing great work. We've got a lot of uh, support and we're getting congressional and national media attention. It's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, and no matter what side of the aisle you fall on uh, politically, well, this is a bipartisan effort that helps save uh, land and everything else and uh, gets you guys the, the benefits that you actually deserve. So I cannot stress enough to going over to www.grwff.com and checking it out. As for us, you, you guys know the game. Stay safe, stay savage, peace. Peace.